When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna Yeah, good evening and welcome into Extra Time here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Uh, we are going to be talking UFC. We're going to be talking boxing. We're going to be talking rugby league, rugby. We're going to talk football. Uh, you name it. We've got it covered. The NFL as well. Plus Hamish Bidwell and Pete Fairbairn are going to give us their thoughts on sport from across the weekend as well. So all of that and more to come throughout the evening. I should update you though on the cricket because the Tri-Series, the T20 Tri-Series that New Zealand are using as a warm-up for the T20 World Cup in Australia later this month. Uh, there was another game today and the Black Cats managed to get one back on Pakistan. They did a good job with the ball. Didn't let uh, Babur Azam get away. Um, and uh, they managed to restrict Pakistan to 130 for seven. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Bracewell uh, did a very good job with the ball. Uh, he took two for 11 of four overs. <coughs> Let's try that again uh, at three past seven here on Extra Time. Yeah, Michael Bracewell went very well. Two for 11 off his four overs against Pakistan. Mitch Tantner, two for 27 off four. Tim Sowley, two for 31. And Ishsodi also took a wicket, uh, one for 23 off his four. Blair Tickner got a bit of stick again. He, of course, has been called in to cover for Adam Milne and Lockie Ferguson, who are both out with uh, abdominal injuries at the moment. Uh, he went for tw- uh, 27 off his three. And Glenn Phillips just the one over for 11. So 130 to chase for the uh, Black Caps. Top scorer uh, was Ifikatar Ahmed for Pakistan with 27. And uh, New Zealand cruised it in the end. They got home with four overs to spare, well, 3.5 overs to spare. Finn Allen top scored. He hit 62 from 42 at the top of the order. Devin Conway carried his bat, 49 not out of 46. And Kane Williamson, the captain there, with nine from nine as well. So uh, the Black Caps get one back on Pakistan and back-to-back wins now against the Bangladeshis and Pakistan. They have to play Bangladesh again. Everyone plays each other twice, and then the two top teams play off in the final. So, uh, yeah, good news for the Black Caps. More good news for the Black Caps today, too, is that Adam Milne bowled today in the nets and came through with no issues. So they reckon he will play in the next game against Bangladesh uh, for the Black Caps. So hopefully he can get through that without getting injured because he has been pretty injury-prone in his career, hasn't he? So uh, that's the, the news from... Uh, the cricket today. Be keen to get your thoughts on that All Black 15. I know it came out yesterday, uh, but came out yesterday at four. Uh, but yeah, there were a lot of names 
not there, I guess. And I, I think probably one of them that we thought would be there after all the talk, after his performance uh, performances for the Māori All Blacks as well, and after his t- the talk about him potentially uh, talking to the Dolphins, no Sean Stevenson in the 15. No Sean Stevenson in the 15. Thanks for your text, Chris, as well. No, it wasn't that, unfortunately. Uh, but I appreciate your concern. I appreciate your concern, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, what, what what happens now? He does have one year left on his deal with New Zealand Rugby. I don't know if he can get out of that. You'd imagine if the Dolphins have got the cash, it probably wouldn't be that difficult. And um, New Zealand Rugby, obviously, not too fussed about keeping him around either. Not in that All Black 15 team. What did you make of that squad? Uh, let us know, Double eight, double three is the text line, or you can call us on 0800 150811. We'll also talk Rugby League World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup. What have you made of that so far? And what chance do you give our Black Caps at the T20 World Cup? We'll uh, talk all of those things and more. The other one that came out today, the other piece of news, was uh, Jan Saas, the new Phoenix signing, the Brazilian, who got sent off on debut. Now... The way that the laws work in football is that intent doesn't come into it. So it doesn't matter if you mean to do something or you don't mean to do something. If you do it, it's still a red card, right? That's kind of how how it works. They don't take intent into it. So uh, his tackle, which went wrong, because he went into the tackle and his standing foot slipped. He looked like he was on ice skates. His standing foot slipped forward and that slipped into the Adelaide player. And it was, by definition of the law, a red card offence, that's fine, I don't have any issues with that. But it was a slip, right? It was, there was, um, uh, it, it's clearly you can see it was a slip and that there was no malice intended uh, there. But what happens then is it goes to the disciplinary committee. Now, red cards automatically trigger a one-match suspension. The disciplinary committee can look at it and add more if they feel necessary. Well, they've given them another two games. They've suspended them for three for something that was effectively an accident. So uh, looking forward to seeing what happens here. The Phoenix have said that they are going to appeal, and I'll be interested to see how they go with that appeal because there have been plenty of incidents in the past with Australian players in the A-League where they've committed red red card tackle offences, worse than the one that we saw on the weekend, They've been given three and appealed, and then it's been reduced. So we'll have to see how that goes and if the Phoenix can uh, get that down uh, as well. Um, Chris has also texted through talking about that All Black 15. What about Peter Gussuakula, the forgotten man? Yeah, very much so. He was a form number eight in Super Rugby. So what do the All Blacks do? They pick him and then play him for 20 minutes at six and decide he's not good enough. And now he can't even make the development 15 or the All Black 15. It's a great call, Chris. Uh, keep your text coming through, double eight, double three. It is nine past seven. When we come back, it's Hamish Bidwell on Media Watch. 13 past seven here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you and uh, joining us now for Media Watch is uh, Hamish Bidwell. G'day, Hamish. How are you doing? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Oh, yeah, not too bad. I'm not choking to death, as I almost did at the start of the show, but that's all right. Through that now, through that now, so that's that's good. How was uh, how was the weekend sport watching, mate? What was the highlight for you? Oh, uh, gee, I didn't, well, look, I didn't really push the boat out too far as far as sports watching was concerned. I saw bits and pieces of things, but, but I couldn't say that I had a highlight, no. 
No. Maybe that's my personality. Should I be more enthusiastic about things? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say you were the highlight of the weekend. I had a couple of birdies at Hastings on Sunday. Yeah, that's good. We, we teed off at about quarter to nine, having been up till nearly three. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a day of uh, mental toughness. Yeah, very much so. What was the occasion? Nothing. Saturday. Oh, the Black Cats were playing on TV1. We were just overjoyed oh, that we all just had a big season. Fair enough. Fair enough. Free to wear sports coverage. I mean, it's a, it's a hack. hack takes you back to a bygone era. It does indeed. It does. How many, uh, what, what are you playing off, by the way? You've got a couple of birdies. You must be uh, getting that handicap down. Are you single figures yet? <laughs> no, there's a bit of junk. I actually thought I was all right at golf, but then I, um, my son's quite good, and his coach... Um, they encouraged me to have a lesson, and I saw myself on video, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, I explained everything. So um, <laughs> I'm just battling away on 16, and uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy beer, I enjoy walk, and uh, and that, that's enough for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I did. I actually, it, it is a thing. My um, my uncle is a former pro, and uh, pretty handy. And he, uh, you know, I, I took up golf and, and then he would give me lessons and I found I got worse after lessons. I think I was just thinking about too many things. <laughs> I had two uncles who were pros as well, one of whom toured for a bit and he, in the 1970s, was leading a tournament in Queensland and he was partnered in the last round with Greg Norman. Wow. And, yeah, so many years before Norman succumbed to Faldo, my uncle uh, succumbed to Norman, he shot 76, the shark had 67, my uncle was never heard of again and the shark went on to become the most divisive name in world golf Indeed he did, indeed he did What, what, are you, what did you make of, I know you said you were, you were watching the Black Caps uh, What have you made of the Black Caps of late? I've, I kind of feel like and, and I know they went alright today but I feel like uh, particularly Kane Williamson might be going the way of Aaron Finch I don't know if the white ball game really suits him especially the way it's developed yeah, and I know he makes his living from it, and he's obviously highly regarded at Sunrise and Hyderabad, and there's plenty of money in it. But uh, purely from a selfish point of view, I'd like to see him give white ball cricket away and just, and just concentrate on test cricket, give us five more years, be it as captain or as our leading batsman, and just sort of do what Taylor did. I mean, the, the, the IPL offers and the CPL offers, they sort of dried up for Taylor, and he did become a test specialist, whether by choice or not. But I think that would be the route for Williamson, um, but that's selfish of me. I, I don't think he necessarily holds his place or merits his place in New Zealand's best white ball teams at the moment, or he shouldn't. That's a caveat, because they're really light on batting, aren't they? Mm. I mean, they're terribly light on batting. So, And the way the order's constructed, so much relies upon him scoring the bulk of the runs, and when he does it, they're left badly exposed, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Although that said, he's been pretty horribly out of form for a while. Uh, since he came back from that that yeah. elbow injury, he hasn't quite been the same player, is he? No, and but they haven't fired a shot either. Whether it's Test cricket, ODI cricket, or T Twenty cricket. Yes, I know they won well today, but there's a bit of a fluke element to that. You know, there's Finn Allen's going to come off, and other days he's not. Today he came off, and that's great. And and they won. Conway's fairly dependable, although I, I wonder. You know, the way he's searching to try and hit the ball in this form of cricket, what, what price he'll play in the test arena. But he may not be concerned. I'm I'm, I'm really old school as far as cricket's concerned. I, I find white ball cricket largely junk. Uh, I, I, I love test cricket. And I, you know, if guys aren't interested in that anymore, it doesn't motivate them the way it did generations ago, that's a shame. But I, I would respect them 
if that was their point of view, because it would be understandable. Yeah, well, I almost think, and I don't know anything, so, you know, and I haven't talked to him about it or anything, I haven't heard anybody tell me on the DL anything, but it feels like after, you know, after we got pants by Pakistan, and even when we got beaten by Aussie recently, he didn't feel, it didn't feel like he really was that bothered, Kane. Um, about, no, no, it, it kind of no, feels like he might have lost his joy for the game. Very, yes, the Australian series, there was there was clear evidence of that. They they were roundly outplayed on services that should have suited them because they were they were hard to beat on New Zealand. You know, there are, there will be teams at this tournament post two hundred, uh, and maybe even win chasing two hundred at the T Twenty World Cup. But New Zealand won't be one of them. We're a, we're a one sixty five, one sixty six type of team. We like uh, difficult conditions. We like we don't like run rate pressure and we didn't have run rate pressure in that 50 over series against Australia. We were on difficult wickets and we still couldn't fire. So I knew that was, I thought it was hellishly disappointing um, and out of character for that team because that's one of the things they did so well on their run to the, the 2019 50 over, 50 over World Cup final. You know, teams were scoring 400, but New Zealand was winning with 235 to 240. And so the guys in Australia recently were right up their street, and they they couldn't they couldn't perform. And Williamson seemed to just shrug his shoulders and go, "Well, that's that's cricket, I'm not too bothered." And I I found that not alarming, but surprising. Yeah, yeah, no, so did I, mate. So did I. Now the series against Bangladesh and Pakistan. I mean, you know, it's great that Christchurch is getting some live cricket um, and things, but I mean, it is nothing more than a warm up for the the World Cup. Um, how invested are you in either? Not very, and I don't know if it's a beneficial warm-up in the sense that New Zealand had five guys in the 11 today who can bowl a bit of finger spin, or four guys can bowl finger spin, and so does the wrist spinner, and they won't all play, and they certainly won't all bowl in Australia, and if they do, they'll be cannon fodder. You know, Bracewell, great figures today, does a job for you. Is a batsman who is bowling because his, bat, his batting is only average, um, but if you think you're going to win a T20 World Cup in Australia with that kind of pop gun attack or, you know, an arsenal of part-time spinners, I think you're battling. Mm, yeah, and I couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Uh, well, you know, you've got your Rashid Khan's, your Adil Rashid's, you know, the world's full of really talented wicket-taking wrist spinners and we don't... Sodi can take wickets, but he's, he's hellishly expensive and yeah, to rely on Bracewell and Phillips and Santner and... Chapman, if he has a bowl, you know these sort of blokes. I think I think we'll be struggling. Mm, yeah, no, that's uh, you, you, you're not wrong there, mate. You're not wrong. Now I I don't know if you saw it, but uh, good to see. You know, some things never change, and one of those is those global ambassadors for fair sportsmanship and cricket, uh, the Australian cricket team. Uh, what did you make of of Matthew Wade uh, the other day? <laughs> I watched it uh, today, actually. I uh, I was once playing in a schoolboy match for Wellington College against Onslow College, and I was by far the best batsman in the team, and I expected to get maybe a hundred. And on about eighteen or twenty, I skied one, and as the guy at cover went to catch it, I shouted out, "Drop it!" at the top of my voice, and he pinned it. And uh, there was a bit of discussion about whether I should be out. I told the umpire he was a dribbler. I point him, and I, yeah, I had to go and see. Him. They were called, what are they, Cricket Wellington? I had to go and see someone from the Wellington Cricket Association subsequently. But, yeah, so I've, I've done some things on the pitch that I wouldn't necessarily be proud of. Uh, Wade's, it was a lower, slightly lower. I mean, I, it wasn't that good, but I admired Josh Butler for just saying, oh, look, let's just slag it. We don't need any issue here, but it wasn't the best. 
No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, let's talk rugby, mate. Uh, opening weekend of the Women's World Cup. Um, it was sold out, but apparently 6,000 people who bought tickets didn't bother showing up, um, which was which is a bit a pity because that's kind of taken the narrative away from the actual game. Yeah, I didn't watch it, and I'm going to struggle to watch it um, for a few reasons. First of all, I don't have Spark, and I won't get Spark, and I have my reasons for that, and, and, and to some extent, I'm cutting my nose off to spite in the face. I'll, I'll miss things like the, the bulk of the Rugby League World Cup. I haven't seen much of the Black Taps when they haven't been on Sky the last couple of years, similar with the Black Ferns at this tournament, but I don't care. And one of the reasons I don't care in this instance is because I think we're being made to watch it. I think the politicisation of the tournament uh, makes my skin crawl a little bit. Um, I have watched a million games of female sport. I've covered a thousand and I've done it because I liked it. But being told that I have to like it and being told how great it is and, and if you don't like it, you're a terrible person. Like That, that turns me off. The thing with Sport New Zealand and that it's time campaign, that, that really pulled me. And you've got the chief executive of that organisation, Raylene Castle, talking about a country in a press release called Aotearoa. Now, we may become that country, but we aren't that country yet. And she should know that because she works for Sport New Zealand. And that's the name of the country and that's the name of the organisation she works for. And all these kinds of things that make sport a political rally rather than a festival of what it is, which is rugby or should be, that turns me off. And so, yeah, I'm going to have trouble watching this tournament on, 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 on that basis. Mm. It's interesting, actually. I, I, I uh, you know, I think women's sports should be given a fair shake. I don't have an issue with that and funding-wise and things, but... There was a, a Bill Burr. Are you, are you familiar with Bill Burr? I know he is, but I haven't seen him. No. I will send you. A, I'll, I'll send you something to watch, Hamish, I uh, which I can't yeah. repeat well, uh, I like verbatim. That. You will. You will. Uh, but okay. uh, the, the basis, <laughs> the basis of his, of his, uh, of his rant is, uh, you know, we open the car door, we pay for dinner. If uh, somebody breaks into the house, we go downstairs and, and face them. Uh, and now we have to watch the WNBA for you as well. Uh, is basically um, his. Uh, he's he's basically saying, look, you know, the the success of women's sports should be on women watching it, not on men watching it. But it was it's an interesting point that he makes. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you that. You can have a look. Um, I'd be interested to get your take on it. Um, but we should talk that All Black Fifteen as well. I was talking about it a little bit earlier, uh, surprised about some of the omissions. Um, and one of those was Sean Stevenson, who I thought, you know, great uh, series against the Irish for the Māori All Blacks. Had had a very good NPC season, had a great super rugby season. Obviously been in the news because he's been over in Redcliffe visiting Wayne Bennett. Um, seems New Zealand rugby are either offended by that or weren't bothered in the first place because he hasn't been selected at all. It's funny, so... What I have watched some of in recent weeks in quite a lot of detail is, is the NPC. And when I turn it on, I think we're back in lockdown because there's no one there. And even that's when they've herded them into a place where the camera can can focus on them and they're still not there. And that that's, to me, the untold or underappreciated rugby story of, of the moment. I, I, I honestly just think what we've done for that competition and the irrelevance that we've created is... is so damning, and then you see this New Zealand 15, and see it income. You know, there's there's some former All Blacks, there's some fringe All Blacks. I'd like to see a stuff where I'm more in the actual All Blacks rather than the All Blacks 15. Well, that's by the by. But like, I mean, you look at that lineup and the squad that's going on, you think, is this the best we have? Are we at this low ebb in our 
in our rugby. And, and uh, we've got this product and saturation coverage over weekends with no one there. Like, it's not what I grew up with at Athletic Park watching Bernie Fraser and Stu Wilson and Murray Mixer. Like, it's, it actually makes me sad. And I don't know if people, I think people have got to the point where they don't care, but I care. It looks really shabby. It's not a great product. And I'm paying money to watch it. And sometimes I wonder if that money is misspent. Mm, yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, Almore. I mean, where's Kurt Eklund gone? He's good enough for the Māori All Blacks, but he's not good enough for this team. That that was another one um, that I was more than a uh, a little surprised about. And um, I've also seen um, you know a few people talking about players that they short, thought should be there. Uh, another one of those we actually had a text about earlier. What's happened to Peter Gus Sorkulo? He was the form at number eight in Super Rugby. Oh, they get selected. They I play know. him for 20 minutes as a blindside flanker and decide he's not good enough. I have a variety of hobby horses, as you may have gathered, and one of my favourites is plucking a Pacific Island player and playing them once or twice and then discarding them. And that, to me, is the pit. Like, that guy is a good player. But it's equally, like I was on shows such as this, or on with Ian in the mornings occasionally, and they would be saying, Peter, go saw a caller. And I'd go, no. He's only fringe. He's not going to make the team. But there was a groundswell, wasn't there, that we must pick this guy. He's done so well. And then we pick him and we discard him. So like, I thought the picking was premature, but the discarding is a disgrace. And yeah, if that guy's not in the best 30 players in the country, I'll eat my hat. But he, he's not going to start for the All Blacks because he plays positions, you know, primarily to me, he's a number eight, and Artie's got that locked up, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, now that's. I, I loathe the way we treat those guys like cattle, you know, the Fafitas of the world, even Lomate, you know what I mean? Like guys who we could play for someone else and we bring them in and we carry them around and they never play and then they go. And I I, I, I wish them well because they deserve to go and they deserve to make some money else when they deserve to be treated better because I just think, yeah, I find it poor when we pick a guy like Peter Gus and just and ditch him like that. Yeah, same, same. Um I mean, there are a few other names in there that I'm like, well, you know what this guy can do, so why are you taking him? People like, say, TJ Peronata, right? I get you need to have some leadership yeah, but, in the team. Yeah, but he's on, a, he's on a big whack of money, and they have to try and justify that. They can't justify picking him in the All Blacks anymore, but he's on that whack of money, and so he has to go. We're but the same. Like, you're gaining nothing by taking those guys away, are you? No, well, I mean, I thought they could have taken a, you know, a Cortez Ratama alongside, say, Brad Weber. You know, and you've got the leadership, but, but you've got another far, young player. He's not going to play much. Or, yeah. Like, mix and match, get Pirafeta and Tuivasa Shek and, and Fakatava to go and play for the All Blacks 15 because they're doing next to nothing with the All Blacks. Like, if we're trying to expose the next tier of talent, we want to give them elite matches to play in. And we're saying that the NPC is a muck around club competition and, you know, super, we play Aussie teams that are woeful. Let's, well, when are we going to expose these guys to a higher level of competition if we don't trust them to be in the All Blacks? Well, this would be. That opportunity, would it not? Yeah, I would have thought so. I would have 100% thought so. I mean, that was another conversation we were having before the team came out, is where are they going to put these guys? Um, I'll tell you, one thing that I was uh, I was pleased to see was that Damien McKenzie wasn't in the All Blacks um, because I, I think he's underwhelmed since he's come back from Japan. And people have said, well, you know, Bowden Barrett and TJ Perinara and other people have underwhelmed, but they came back into super rugby, uh, you know, and then got better. Uh, you know, over a, a month or so. But, I mean, you look at the difference that, say, Stephen Petafeta made going into that Taranaki team when he was released to play versus the impact that Damian McKenzie's made. I think it's night and day. You can see why they've decided that uh, Petafeta is is now in front of Damian McKenzie. Yeah, I, I thought, and I, I, Stephen wrote 
um, a year ago that I thought McKenzie, we'd seen what there was to see of him at test level and it wasn't going to get any better and we might as well move on from that. Aside from the fact that he's just such a little fella and if he's, we don't trust him at 10, he's not big enough to play 15. Like he's talented, you know, the cheeky smiles, got a good head of hair on him, good luck to him, but he's not a test calibre footballer and we, we took a long time to work that out and, and thankfully we have and we probably won't see him in the, the best black jumper ever again. No, uh, no, we won't. All right, Hamish, good stuff, mate. Thanks for coming on. We'll let you go work on the golf swing uh, and and uh, put your feet up, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week, eh? I'll look forward to it. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Uh, it's 7.30 here on SCNZ Extra Time. When we come back, we visit West Island. Need to edit that into there and just come in with the guitar, like, I reckon. Come with a riff. Uh, right, sorry, this is a very unprofessional start to a voice break. Uh, this is Extra Time on SCNZ. Pete Fairburn joins us from the other side of the ditch. In fact, he joins us from back in time, so far back in time. They're in the dark ages. They don't even have daylight savings. He's in Queensland. How are you, mate? Well, Ricardo, we don't want to upset the cattle or fade the curtains, you see. No, mate, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard for us this time of year trying to remember what time it is for, for my wife's family over your way and... For, you know, business, uh, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with people in other states, it's pretty easy to get confused. And as a, a transplanted Victorian, uh, you know, being around the environment I'm in, we don't need to give Queenslanders an excuse to be confused. So I'm very much an advocate for, uh, for bringing daylight savings up here to the Sunshine State. You never know. Yeah, you never know. As a transplanted Victorian, what is that about your pronouns? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably won't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> probably safest, mate. Probably safest. Uh, now, we've got plenty to talk about. We've got a Rugby League World Cup on the horizon. Uh, what's the buzz like in Oz for this? Is there one? There is, um, but it's a funny vibe because all of a sudden um, you've got so many uh, beloved NRL players and, and you know, genuine superstars of the competition spread amongst so many different countries at, at this Rugby League World Cup. You know, since we've seen the, the success of the Tongan Rugby League team in the last few years, we've now got some, some really big players declaring for Samoa. They've certainly picked a, a fantastic squad. We've got Victor Radley, who um, was likely to be in contention for a kangaroo spot. He's declared for England. Um, so all of a sudden, uh, there is buzz, but it's, it's very different from what we've seen previously, where... It was kind of considered, you know, a race in three for a long, long time there with Australia, New Zealand and the Poms. And, and even then, um, you know, Billy Slater, hospital passes aside, most of the time we'd expect the Aussies to get the chockies. So it's a bit of a different vibe. I think there's a, a sense of um, not, not, not nervousness. I don't know if it's that strong, but there's certainly no taking for granted that the kangaroos are going to be the ones who hoist the trophy up. The other thing that's great to celebrate this time around is is the evolution of the women's game. And there's been some great um, attention on on the the NRLW players who've been selected for the World Cup as well. And, um, you know, a fair few of the the former um, Olympic gold medal winning rugby sevens players. And, um, yeah, just some great names in there too. So I think that's capturing people's attention. The thing I need to know, mate, obviously you've got your your ear to the ground over there. 7.30 Monday morning, I think your time uh, the, the Kiwis, Madge McGuire's Kiwis, take on Michael Checker's Lebanon. What a bizarre world we're living in where um, public enemy number one over the ditch there. I, I think the New Zealand Herald will have the, the red nose cartoon out again for that one as, as the Kiwis take on the Cedars. Is it a big talking point? Not really. Um, I think everybody's gone, oh, we're going we're gonna to walk our group. Um, 
which we probably will. We probably should. But Kiwis have a, uh, a habit of starting tournaments slowly, so uh, they need to they need to win their group um, and win it well. But I, I think should it have too much. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that Checker is coaching Lebanon. I think David Kidwell is assisting him both with Argentina and the and Lebanon. So he's got a, a leaguey in there with him. But it's it's just an interesting dynamic, and you know. I guess it's it'll be interesting to really sit down, be a fly on the wall, and see how it works, and what Checker actually does as a coach in that environment. Absolutely, I will tell you what, though, he's got his priorities right. When it when you know when you think about um, you know the, the different countries and, and cultures you get to spend time with, and, and the beautiful food, you know the steaks he gets, um, you know as, as coach of Argentina, beautiful Lebanese food I'm sure in camp with the Cedars and, and then heads back over to Japan to NEC where he, he can just rip into that beautiful Japanese food as well he's um for a guy who, who seems to be getting slimmer by the year I don't know how he does it oh man he must have he must have a reasonably reasonable property uh property portfolio in Bankstown I would imagine too wouldn't he well, mate, he's a guy who made a fair quid away from sport uh, before he went on to be an elite coach. And all jokes aside, I do think it's great to see Michael Checker in there coaching at the Rugby League World Cup. Um, you know, and I can't help but dream. Eddie Jones has always said his dream job after he leaves the, the English rugby team would be to coach the South Sydney Rabbitohs, a team he grew up, um, you know, in in uh, inner in city Sydney there, grew up supporting the Rabbitohs. I don't know if that'll ever eventuate, but... Yeah, the Rugby League World Cup could be uh, yeah, the type of stage where someone like an Eddie Jones could make their bow in the future. Wouldn't that be a sight to behold? Yeah, well, it's something that we haven't seen much of. But, I mean, you know, I remember Alan Jones, who was a Wallabies coach, coaching the Tigers and things like that. So it's not a first. It just It's a long time between drinks. It is. It's unique. But, um, no, look, and, and, and to go all the way back to your original question, there is buzz. There is excitement. Um, there's some great talking points in this Kangaroos squad. Um, it seems likely that Mal Meninga will rest the majority of the Penrith and Parramatta players from that first fixture against Fiji this weekend. There's a pretty short lead-in and not a lot of time on the ground in Manchester for the, for the Kangaroos. So that'll likely give Daly Cherry Evans the opportunity to start in the seven jersey if Ivan Cleary's rested. Um, that's going to be a fascinating battle. Daly Cherry Evans um, you know, has so much pedigree at, a, at an international rugby league level and has been a one of the first players selected for the Kangaroos for a long, long time. COVID has meant we haven't seen a lot of test, um, test rugby league in, in the last couple of years. Nathan Cleary is clearly the, the standout player in the NRL competition. So at what point is Mal Meninga going to make the call on, on who you know, holds that seven jersey for the most critical parts of the campaign? That's, that's one battle I'm, I'm really, really excited to see. But as I mentioned, I mean, the Samoa squad's got plenty of, um, plenty of exciting names as well. You've got young Joseph Suwali, who's, you know, the, um, the, the been the subject of a, a tug of war between Rugby Australia and, and the NRL, um, you know, previously, and, and someone who, um, you know, is tipped to have a huge, huge um, future at at, um, at at rugby league, you know, in rugby league or, or in rugby union if, if he chose to go that way. He would have likely been chosen for the Kangaroos as a 19-year-old to play on the wing. Um, but he's nominated Samoa, where he'll go in. You know, guys like Stephen Crichton, Brian Toto, Jerome Luai, Josh Papali. So Samoa themselves in a group with with England, France, and Greece. And if they could upset the English, that could turn the tournament on its head. Well, there's a, mate. Honestly, there's an excellent chance that the semi final on that side of the draw is Tonga Samoa. I don't. I don't. Which I, would just be compelling to see, and and you know, great to see. Uh, and, and no disrespect to when they played, you know, some great Pacific Test matches out in Campbelltown and Western Sydney and that sort of thing. But 
Um, yeah, I think it's wonderful to see these, these, you know, let's face it, far smaller than Australia and New Zealand Pacific Islands with an opportunity to truly shine, truly um, you know, celebrate their heritage um, on a global stage. When I compare it to, and I'm sure it's getting a lot of chatter over there, um, you know, the rugby union, we've seen some great advancements with the eligibility criteria shifting over the last 12 months and some, some guys getting the opportunity to return to, to represent, um, you know, the, the country of, of their heritage rather than one of those big tier one countries. But then you see something like Levi Amua being selected to the All Blacks 15 out of Moana Pacifica. Um, and you feel like it's two steps forward, you know, three steps back in, in rugby union. Rugby league seems to be kind of going in the right direction around eligibility. I think it's, um, I disagree with Mel Meninga. I don't think a player should have to declare their eligibility at the start of their career. And, and, and I actually don't mind in rugby league where test, test rugby league isn't the pinnacle of that sport. I don't mind players having the opportunity to represent more than one of their cultures at different points throughout their career as well. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because Australians always say Test Rugby League is not the pinnacle, but it's only not the pinnacle for Australians. That's a very salient point. You're getting very deep for my uh, my late <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. I might have to give my green tea another swirl and give that some more thought. Look, I take your point. I, I think... Um, you know, probably by the, the very fact that our, our national sports here are, um, in the winter are AFL and NRL. And obviously, AFL doesn't have that international lens on it. And NRL, we probably see as a direct competitor to AFL. So the biggest rival um, for rugby league in Australia is the AFL competition. Whereas for you guys, the biggest rival to rugby league in New Zealand is probably rugby league in Australia. Um, that's the rivalry. That's the passion. That's the hatred. So... I don't know if I'm I'm going too off piece there, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely food for thought. Definitely, mate. Definitely. Now, uh, I I did have to ask, what was your take on the Australian squad? Because I looked at it, it was a weird squad for me. I mean, you leave out your Dally M winner, you leave out your Clive Churchill medal winner, you leave out the best hooker in the game, so you can play you can play a guy who's a manufactured hooker who likes to drop the ball. I mean, it, it, it seemed weird. Yeah, there are a few a few confusing things there, and I think what we saw, um, you know, both uh, the Queensland and New South Wales State of Origin coaches were asked to contribute to selection of this squad, um, and they both declined and said it puts them in an uncomfortable position. And as a sidebar, there's a lot of chat that in the Gillaroos selection with the, the the women's players that the two State of Origin coaches being involved in that did actually create a pretty um, a, a pretty challenging selection criteria and meeting there. Um, but I look at this, this rugby league squad for Australia and, and I just see Mel Meninga's squad. That's what comes through really, really clearly to me. Um, you know, going back to, to guys like Josh Adokar, Reuben, Reuben Cam, Regan, third try at uh, that one, Campbell Gillard, um, you know, Ben Hunt playing a critical role in, in, in the nine jersey um, and guys like a Bailey Cherry Evans. I, I think that this squad has got Mel Meninga's fingerprints all over it. Um, I, I'm devastated for Nico Hines that he wasn't selected. I just think he's been the story of the season. You know, even before that Delhi M win, he, he's a wonderful um, ambassador for rugby league. He's he, he's learned about his indigenous culture, which he didn't know a lot about. He he's learned about that over recent years and really embraced that indigenous all stars environment. He's one of the the few who left the Melbourne Storm and 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 been really careful and chosen, I think, very wisely where he went and then linking up with with Craig Fix together at, at Cronulla. Uh, and had an extraordinary impact there and, and shown his versatility across so many different positions. So, um, you know, alongside probably Matt Burton, he was the guy I was most excited to see in a kangaroo's jersey. Um, 
that being said, you know, there's, there's still plenty of game breakers in there. Um, you know, and, and, and there's guys like a, a Jeremiah Nanai, Murray Tuolungi, um, you know, even somebody um, like, like Big Tino. We haven't really seen them in this environment. So they get the opportunity to lift. Um, you know, Ruben Cotter's been a great story this year out of the Cowboys, a guy who um, certainly didn't look like he was going to play representative footy 18 months ago, and, and here he is at a Rugby League World Cup. So... On paper, we're definitely missing a, a few guys who, who've elected to play um, for other countries. Payne Haas rules himself out and, and says he wants to take a break. That's a massive loss as well. But I do still think that there's a squad there that, that can take home the trophy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you leave the Dally M winner and the Clive Churchill winner and the, and the best hooker in the country uh, in, the, in the competition out of the uh, squad and still complain about players uh, playing for the islands. Uh, I thought that was a bit rich for Melvin Inga, but it's all right. We'll, we'll put that one to bed, Pete. Uh, mate, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, let's move on, mate, uh, because great to see tradition uh, is at the heart of everything that Australian cricket does. And in the tradition of Trevor Chappell and Greg Dwyer and, and David Warner, um, good to see Matthew Wade continuing that. Uh, I've seen this this clip uh, tw- retweeted a couple of times. Uh, one, to start your week, here are the guardians of cricket at it again. And another one from a Pakistani fan, uh, the CEO of Sportsman Spirit, Matthew Wade, stopping Ma- uh, Matthew Wood from taking a catch. Uh, the Aussies with an exclamation mark. Uh, what was the your take on that, and did it get much coverage in Australia? Well, I mean, in terms of, of things we've seen before, it's, it's Australian cricket living rent-free in, in New Zealand cricket's head, isn't it? I mean, you guys just absolutely, uh, you're holier than thou, aren't you? You certainly haven't had blokes sent home from tours from smoking pot or, uh, or any issues yourselves along the journey. Have your squeaky clean and no skeletons there. Look, uh, it's not a great look for the game. And, and Matthew Wade, we know he's... Um, look, I'm, I'm going to use my words. You probably use different. Niggly, gritty, plays the game on the edge, um, and certainly not a guy who's out there to make friends. I think it's a really bad look. I also think England stuffed up by not appealing. It's as simple as that. They should know the rules of the game, and they should have sent him on his way. They should have made the appeal to the umpire, um, and then it takes it out of the hands of poor sportsmanship, and it becomes, you know, rather than poor sportsmanship, it becomes a very poor case of judgment and he's gotten himself out you know in a run chase at a critical time by doing the wrong thing you know not really any different to you know a poor shot selection or 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 poor judgment when it comes to a run you know that's the way i look at it maybe i am slightly biased i I agree it's not a good look but but i I don't understand why the english haven't appealed and it's as simple as that yeah no that's a fair point it's a fair point joss butler did say oh you know it is what it is and it'll come out in the wash or something along those lines he was very non-committal maybe it's because uh maybe he made the wrong uh captaincy call uh just before we let you go pete um australia a playing up in japan um how's that been going for you i I saw the first game and uh, your boys struggled the first 40 but managed to get the win yeah, likewise in the second. Not necessarily struggled in the first 40, but um, managed to come home with a wet sail and, and, and steal it with a late conversion to go two from two with, with one game to come. I think um, you know there, there's some guys on this tour who've been in that Wallaby environment this year who need match fitness and who need to, to demonstrate that they're capable of doing more than they have done thus far. And for those guys, it's a great opportunity. You've got um, yeah, a pretty unique circumstance where, where Tom Banks has come in after breaking his arm in the rugby championship and played 40 um, because he needs some match fitness and, and good to see him back and, and he's got a big role to play um, for the Wallabies you know, despite his impending move to, to Japan I think he's still got a big role to play over the next 12 months um, but I think the most exciting thing when we look at 
the fact that uh, you know Bernard Foley and Quade Cooper and um, you know Kirtley Beer, we've been going back to the well a little bit with these tens, um, you know, for, for Australia over the last twelve months. What they've done with this Australia A Tour is they've taken the two young New South Wales Waratahs tens in in Benny Donaldson and Tane Edmed. They've given them a game each thus far. Um, they're getting an opportunity to develop combinations with with guys of a you know a, a pretty decent standard, um, and they haven't looked like they're out of place at this level. If you go through the Japanese um, fifteen that we've been playing against. It's basically fully capped Japanese players. I mean, I don't know what developmental purposes Michael Leach gets at age 79 rolling out for Japan A, but, um, you know, it's, it's our guys, I guess, really ranked, um, you know, for the majority between kind of position 30 and 60 in the Australian power rankings for individuals going up against the Japan team ranked kind of 10 to, to 35 in their power rankings. So... Yeah, no, fair, fair call, Pete. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting and uh, been good for building uh, the depth of the uh, Wallabies ahead of a World Cup year. It is a nine away from eight here on SCNZ. It's five away from eight here on SCNZ. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. We are going to be talking combat sports after nine o'clock. Uh, Rod McSwain is going to join us. We're going to talk some UFC. Uh, hopefully we'll talk to Rob Blythe out of uh, Australia as well on the uh, Haney Cambosis Junior card. That is this weekend. Uh, we're also going to talk some football and we're going to talk NFL in the next hour. Up next, though, we join Kevin here to talk Heartland Championship. We might we might just bring up his pick from the beginning of the season as to who his outsider was to take out the Meads Cup. We'll, we'll do that next here on SENZ Extra Time. West Coast. I had a pencil under them going into the season, uh, into pre-season. They've recruited well, and to me, they are my pick to win the Meads Cup this year. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Kevin here joins us uh, to talk Heartland Rugby from at rugbyheartland.co.nz. Kevin, you knew that was coming, didn't you? I certainly did. I'm hanging up now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for staying on the line. Oh, I know. I'm sitting here going, I I bet you they bring up the recording of episode one. Um, And you did. And uh, I'd just like to remind you, I did pick 10s earlier a couple of years ago when it was, they were at 80 to 1. So I do take the, I, I, I take the bow and go, bugger. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> fair, mate, fair. Um, but, yeah, West Coast did lose again on the weekend to Poverty Bay. So they finished 0-8, uh, bottom of the table. That's the first time West Coast have finished bottom for a while, I would imagine. It is their worst Heartland placing ever since 2006 when the Heartland Championship started. They had won one game twice in two different seasons. Uh, they've never gone 0-8. Right, right. So you're the worst season. Chalice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's happening on the West Coast at the moment? Do you expect much to change for next season, or was it they just going to, as they, I can't remember who said it once, uh, one of it's Steve Hansen, flush the dunny on it and move on? <coughs> Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, as, as I said at the start of the season, they had all, all their cards in a row, and they the, the ball just didn't bounce for them at all this year. And and then, unfortunately, you know, um, up against Poverty Bay last weekend, um, I mean, they they had a losing record of eighteen to five um, over in history against uh, Poverty Bay. Um, so you know, it was going to be a tough battle, but um, oh, they didn't even get a look in there. Uh, the week before they. 
you know, could have snuck something against North Otago, but you know that got away from them there. So there was a lot that got away. They lost the Rundle Cup to Buller. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll just sit back. I mean, they've got the players, don't get me wrong. The, the guys there you know, did well, but not well enough. Yeah, now probably the team, I think, that are... Um, <laughs> that have exceeded expectations, shall we say, um, this season have got to be King Country because I remember talking to you about them at the beginning of the season and the thought was, well, they had a bit to play for with the centenary uh, and they sort of started to come right a little bit towards the end of last season. They probably just didn't have enough depth to really trouble the big boys, but there they are in the semi-finals of the Meads Cup. Yeah, and well, I mean, they, they are definitely the talking point. I mean, the... The win by Horafanua helped them out um, over North Otago um, when Horafanua got up in the last seconds against um, uh, Ten Valley, shall I say, um, and that uh, made King Country North Otago. Um, so um, yeah, no, nah, they they uh, it's awesome to see the two centenary teams in the semi-finals. Um, imagine imagine that. There you go. I'll go out on a limb. Imagine two upset semi-final wins, and we get two centurions playing against each other on, in the final. How cool would that be? That'd be. But awesome. it won't happen. Yeah, no, probably won't happen. But <laughs> that said, you know what would be cool? What would be cool would be if uh, you know if they both lose um, rather than mm. bow out. We see it in some competitions. We have a third versus four playoff next weekend yeah um, don't forget these guys have still got to be down on the farm or or in, in their in their trucks or, or whatever on Monday uh, and it is a long weekend so if they do bow out this weekend at least they can sort of lick their wounds next week and have a long weekend and go oh, almost 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 but not quite alright well what about Thames Valley because they did get upset against Horafanua Carpenty they were at home they were leading till late in that game weren't they Oh, the game was a crazy game. Um, I, I really could not keep up with it. Uh, the tries galore, penalties galore, and um, and then I think they went probably five minutes into injury time. Uh, Horofanua just stuck to their guns. They were without their inspirational captain, Ryan Shelford, for the day because he got pulled out of the airport uh, in Wellington because, uh, well, congratulations to Ryan. Uh, a new Bubs uh, arrived at game time. So he ends up having to pull the plug um, on the on on the, on travelling. So um, I suppose the guys were saying, "Let's do it for Ryan." And uh, yeah, they they walked away, and uh, that got them um, well to the detriment of Buller. Uh, got them into the Lahore Cup. Yeah, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, for them, for Horofinua Carpeti, because they didn't have a great start to the season. Uh, let's concentrate on the other on the other two Meads Cup teams, though. Uh, Whanganui mm-hmm. and South Canterbury, uh, they were the two favourites going into the start of the season. Um, they've both got home semi-finals. We probably expect that they are going to meet in the final, don't we? Oh, totally. I mean, this is the final we should have seen last year. Um, but unfortunately, due to COVID, you know, we, we missed out on, on this final last year. So uh, Wanganui are current Lahore Cup champions, um, only because of, you know, they couldn't have a crack at the Meads Cup, finishing third. And um, so, yeah, no, th- this is um, going to be a, a big battle. The only question will be is where in South Canterbury are they going to play it? Yeah, what's the deal there? What, what, do, you, what do you think the answer is going to be to that question? Well, uh, depending on how it goes at Pleasant Point this weekend, and um, I've got to give a shout out to uh, SENZ. You know, uh, Pleasant Point are the winners of the you know make our ground better. 
So I'm hoping the ground's better <laughs> already. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's only because of the revamp of Fraser Park. So that's why they've been taking it around the region. Um, I have no idea where it will be. Uh, there were talks that it might be at McKenzie. There were talks that it all comes down to, you know, um, logistics with uh, TV and crowds and stuff like that. So I think if, if they have a successful weekend uh, there this weekend, I wouldn't be surprised to see Pleasant Point host the final. Okay, well, uh, fingers crossed we can see that new ground and what it looks like as well after all the work that has gone into it because uh, that that would be fantastic. In, in terms of um, the most likely upset, if there is going to be one, is it Thames Valley, a most, the, the team most best prepared to, to, to spring an upset in, this, in, this, uh, in these semifinals? Oh, I'm really on the fence with this one. Um, I, I do have a foot in both camps here, um, and you know, a couple of you know, a couple of years ago, I would have gone, yeah, nah, Wanganui all day every day. But then a couple of years ago, Thames Valley did tip them up at Cooks Gardens. But I think the two losses that Thames have just had um, going into the you know final minutes of games, um, I think that I, I think Wanganui have had quite an easy run. But uh, um, Wanganui have business. They 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 feel like they were robbed of a Meads Cup uh, attempt last year, and they want to put the record straight and um, try to get up over South Canterbury if they meet in the final. So I I, I would say there will be a lot more impetus on the uh, Wanganui Butcher Boys, and um, I'd go Wanganui. 12 and under. Wanganui 12 and under. All right, so a Wanganui South Canterbury final is what you're picking. What about in the Lahore yep. Cup? Uh, we've got those semi-finals. North Otago <coughs> hosting Mid Canterbury in a, in a real tasty derby and Horofanua Kapiti up against Ngāti Paraui's Coast. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, and that's all because Ngāti Paraui's Coast beat Mid Canterbury earlier in the year because um, they finished both on 18 points. So my, um, my wish list is that uh, East Coast be... Uh, too good for Horofanua Kapiti and uh, get up over them and Mid-Canterbury are too good for North Otago and then we can look out for the donut ticket to go to Ruatoria for a Lahore Cup final. That would be my dream. Oh, but that, that um, good. How good would that be? But uh, I think North Otago will be too strong at Omaru for Mid-Canterbury and if anything, um, that Horofanua, Nadi Pro East Coast game, uh, Horofanua got up over them in the um, during the regular season um, up there at Ruatoria. It's going to be a battle royal, but uh, hey, this is East Coast's first um, semi-final in 10 years, so uh, they've got plenty to play for, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of Nadi Pro support for them um, in within, and I will be there with bells on. Yeah, well, the, the real question, Kevin, I have for you is if Nazi Pro East Coast get up and host the final, will you ride onto the ground or into the ground on a horse? A la Ma Nonu. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the horse. Would it be a Clydesdale by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making no judgment. Um, Oh, well, it depends. I mean, you know, um, it is going to be on Labor Weekend. Uh, the good wife is looking at me already saying rugby season's finishing. Can I go on holiday yet? So you never know. Never know. Um, I, do come from a fam- I do come from a family of jockeys, by the way, including uh, a Melbourne Cup winning uh, um, connection. So um, you never know.
You never know. Stranger things have happened, mate. Stranger things have happened. Um, now, we've True. talked about the, the semi-finals. Yeah. There are four teams who, of course, don't have a game. Their season is over. Buller, Poverty Bay, Wairarapa Bush, and West Coast. Of those mm. four teams, who do you think will be most disappointed not to be playing uh, knockout football? Oh, definitely 100% Buller. Um, you know, they, they had a couple of games there where they completely just lost the plot, let's just be honest. Um, after going down a uh, couple of big scores for North Otago and oh, the other one, can't remember who now off the top of my head, I blanked it from my memory. But um, they, they, they'll be disappointed. They, they would have gone to Wairapa convinced they, they had a shot. They put 40 points on, well, 39 points on Wairapa, um, only for Wairapa to finally hit their straps and score 55. Mm. So... Um, and then, uh, but they still had a chance to be in the Hawke Cup, and uh, it was just that upset uh, victory by Horofanoa over Thames uh, got them um, knocked out. So, yeah, Buller would definitely be the team that goes, ah, just missed. Should be us. Yeah. Should be us. Yeah, good stuff, Kevin. All right, yeah. mate. Hey, uh, before I let you go, a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. There's been a bit of chat about this All Black 15 squad. Um, you mm-hmm. You follow your rugby pretty closely. I mean, who do you think is is unlucky not to be there? Because I mean, if you really, if you look at it, you add up the two squads, the All Blacks and and this All Black Fifteen squad, that's sixty three players. I mean, if you're not of the sixty three, you, you pretty much you think you're probably out of the coaches' minds, aren't you? Unless you're like an injured player, like an Ethan Blackadder or a Quintu Pyre. Yeah, I mean, and Josh Lord, of course, he's out injured. Um, but I mean, oh, I mean, what what did uh, George Bridge have to do? You know, um, now we know why he's looking overseas. Um, Stevenson, um, is that the one that's been teed up by um, the Dolphins? Yeah. Uh, the fullback. Um, so, yeah, a few of these guys would be sitting there going, oh, OK, you know, I'm at the, I'm getting near the end. There's no chance this ain't going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of Canterbury influence in that second 15. Um, I will refuse to call them the All Black 15 because they're not. Um, let's be honest, they're the New Zealand 15. Um, and that's all down to branding, of course. Um, but, yeah, uh, there are a few there. Um, Fakatava, um, you know, at least he'll get a chance in the uh, All Blacks. Uh, Perifeta, he'll be OK. He'll get a run, I'd say, against Japan. But, um, yeah, you look at that second squad and they are the backups to the backup. Yeah, they are. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, there, <laughs> yeah. there has been. Um, I don't know. Don't know that it's official, but there, I think uh, Ian Foster mentioned it maybe on the breakdown or on Sky in an interview that he said that they might chop and change a bit after the Japan game. They might send some players to the All Black fifteen. Um, so I suppose that you know that's the pair of fetters, the Fakatavas, the RTSs might get a game in that first game for the All Black fifteen. If, if is that what we read into that? Um, well, definitely. I mean, you know, these guys, um, you know, if they, if these guys don't play in the game against Japan, they will definitely, I'll, I don't know how you fit all these guys into two matches against Ireland and the uh, Barbarians. But um, I suppose, you know, I suppose the big question is how many of these guys out of those 60-odd players are going to be in NPC finals? You know, um, or are they going to be told, OK, great, you play the semi-finals, here you go. And by the way, go Wellington. Um, but the thing is, um, 
you know, are these guys going to be available for NPC final next week? And uh, that, that's where my sort of big question is. Hopefully they will be, but I'm not too sure. Oh, when they, they assemble on the 28th of October. So, yeah, so they probably will be there. Hopefully, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, it'd be interesting one, mate. Yeah. Uh, be uh, be interesting for sure. Good stuff, Kev. Thanks very much for coming on, mate, throughout the season. Uh, no doubt we'll talk about the semi-finals again next week, eh? Yeah, sure. And uh, as I said, uh, good luck to all the teams and go Nardi Pro East Coast. Yeah, we won't mention West Coast next week at all. I promise. Thank you. No problem. Uh, there we go. If you want to follow your Heartland Rugby, go to rugbyheartland.co.nz. That is Kevin's website. Does a fantastic job. All the information you could ever need uh, is right there at your fingertips. It is a quarter past eight here on SENZ Extra Time. This is SENZ Extra Time, 20 past eight on your uh, Tuesday evening. Hope everything is going well. Graham from Christchurch has called through on 0800 150 811. How are you doing, Graham? Oh, good, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Yeah, good, thank Covering you. Covering a bit of ground on your show tonight, as oh, usual, for yeah. different tough topics. Try, yeah. Trying to keep it interesting for everybody, mate. You know, that's what it's all yeah. about. Oh, good. No, it's very eclectic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just, um, well, I heard your interview with the um, guy just before. Oh, his name, I don't know. Sorry. Oh, Kevin here? Was it on the Heartland stuff? Oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, the yep. Heartland guy. Yeah, yeah, he spoke very well. Yeah, I just know that though, all those... Um, he was saying about the New Zealand A players. No, they are all available for the semis and finals because they don't assemble till after the Labor weekend. I think Kevin said that, the 28th, yeah, after the um, finals of the NPC. Yeah, those New Zealand A players are available for um, their provinces, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about, though, guys like Roger Tuivasa Sheik, um well, I don't know about the All Blacks, but yeah. I, know you, I, heard Le, I did hear an interview with Leon McDonald, and he was asked that question. So those New Zealand A players are definitely available. Otherwise, you'd have you basically have a B B competition semi and finals um, with the MPC. Yeah, which is not a deal. <laughs> but I mean, they, to be fair, New Zealand rugby did that to the Farah Palmer Cup last season. Remember, they pulled them out to go into a training camp. It wasn't even for oh, a game. Oh, that's right. That's right. They did. No, but uh, but I heard Leon McDonald say that in an interview yesterday. That the New Zealand A players are available are playing for their provinces this weekend and the following one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mate. But they're all blacks. But with the all blacks, I'm not too sure about that. You'll probably find they won't be. Yeah, the mm. ones in the the original squad named on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, I would imagine that if he goes to Japan uh, rather than plays for Auckland, then Roger Tuivasa-Sheik will have to be in the team, right? You'd, you'd start him at 12 or 14 or wherever they're going to play him because it makes no sense to take him out and of playing allowed, 80 minutes I mean, and, and to sit yeah, on a bench. I think, yeah, personally, he should be able to play anyway for Auckland in the final. You know, I mean, I... You know, Mark Watson and I have for a long time uh, never been a fan of this um, sort of the Steve Hansen sort of type thing, you know, they're in the 100-player circuit that travels to the Northern Hemisphere, you know. Um, Because, you know, how many players are going to play? How much game time are they going to get if you cross-pollinate all blacks back into the... Uh, into the, um, you know, vice versa between the New Zealand A and the all blacks, which is actually Foster's plan, so... You know, the, some of them aren't going to get a lot of game time. It'd be a good experience for them, but they're not. You know, yeah. and um, that's just this is the way it is. But yeah, I did hear that interview with Leon yesterday, and he said that. So that that's one good thing. But the All Blacks, I wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't be too sure. Maybe some of the fringe players that need rugby, and um, I think RTS definitely needs more rugby. Definitely. Um, and, and it, 
and a couple of others too. But yeah, on the unlucky ones, I think Sean Stevenson is very unlucky. Yeah, no, um, yeah, and um, even though there's always Canterbury players in there, everyone's saying, yeah, sure, Tom Christie's uh, sort of stands out because he has been playing so well, you know, for the Crusaders as well. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I yeah, I think that yeah, there's that's the interesting thing about all these players, you know. It makes you wonder um, how you know how that that they got missed out with them being so consistent, but it seems to be that they you know they still have. But you know um, you know the players coming back hopefully next year too. So um, yeah, I, I I sort of take a bit of a grain of salt. World Cup, yeah, you don't know what can happen. You know, it's a mm. Super Rugby always takes a toll as well. You know, on player availability, someone some. So you you got to see what happens, you know, in the first half of next year in that competition. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing too, I mean, like looking at this through this team, there's some players there uh, that aren't there, I should say, that I I thought would be on top of those. I mean, Kurt Eklund's another one. He was he was in that Māori All Black yeah. squad that did really well against the Irish, but he's nowhere yeah, he to be did. seen either. Yeah, I know. A lot, I mean, he played. He had one, you know, bad, I'm only saying this, you know, against when he played the full final of the Blues against the Crusaders, you know, I think the Crusaders did a number on the Blues line-out. But up to that point, you know, he was one of the form hookers and, and deserved, you know, he went close to being in the All Blacks. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, he should be, yeah, I mean, he, and, you know, yeah, very, very close to being in there. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it's, it's not not always a lot of reward for, for consistency, Um Nowadays in provincial rugby, you know, it's like I say with Tom Christie, you know, the guys that put it out there week after week and, you know, they've still, you know, still missed. But, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the All Blacks, and I know Leo McDonald had nothing to do with the selection of the team either. That was the other thing. A lot of people were saying it's definitely um, being picked from, you know, that's just the, that's the team he's been given. So... Yeah, no, it's um, an interesting one, Ricardo. Yeah, it certainly is, mate. It certainly is. Uh, the other one that I thought was interesting is I, I figure, and I, I mentioned this with Hamish, I don't know if you heard that chat, but I figure the yeah, all-black coaches know everything they need to know about TJ Pedernata, so I don't see why he goes if he's not in the all-blacks. Oh, no, I don't either. Yeah. And I've got nothing, you know, I know he's a good, I've heard he's a good guy, and I know that's not the, but, and we know, but he has been around the block big time. I mean, Brad Weber. I can understand. I mean, we know he's, he's played a few, quite a few less games for the All Blacks, really, compared with TJ's been there for for a long, long time. And I, I think there is room to to build um, in those, you know, in a position like halfback. Take it, take another younger player. I agree with you. I just see it, see it as being pointless. I mean, if he needed to be flying over there, you know, if they lost three halfbacks and some freak type thing. You know, like first fives in the 2011 World Cup were all getting injured. You know, if that sort of, you know, they can fly, you know, and he'd be still fit. So you don't need to, you know, I, I just seen that as, um, I, I do think that's pointless. You know, the first five position, you know, McKenzie, you know, his utility, you know, they could have taken, um, you know, like Justin said to you and I on Sunday at Fergus Burke, you know, um, mm. he played well for Canterbury. Um, you know, they're not... You know, Bryn Gatlin, you know, played well, but yeah, I think Fergus was unlucky. Yeah, I mean, taking sort of guys like that, you know, I'm not picking on TJ, but it's just the fact that yeah, you, you know, with the World Cup looming, they should be really, you know, um, giving a bit of encouragement to to form young form, uh, you know, NPC players who have played a bit of Super Rugby too. But you know, that's the All Black selectors for you. They got 
they got that what you know that's what they want and they have picked some other young players so on the other side of the coin yeah yeah Yeah, it's an interesting one i also noticed that you referred to them as the all black development squad or new zealand a uh oh whatever you call them sorry yeah that's probably that's probably completely incorrect it's new zealand a team isn't it yeah well that's the thing i i just thought it was quite funny when it was announced that they were going to have this team and then there was some question marks because they. I, I remember Jamie Wall tweeting about it and saying the amount of people I've had to correct that Leon McDonald has not replaced Ian Foster this morning. <laughs> I think it was about four people had thought they'd heard All Blacks Leon McDonald and put that together, you know. And uh, uh, but he <laughs> but he then tweeted later on to say that you know New Zealand rugby had been uh, in touch to say that uh, the players aren't All Blacks; they're just playing for the All Black Fifteen. So it's oh, all yes. a bit no, confusing. No, but I mean, no, yeah, so no. why use the name? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, no, and that's, yeah, no, that is, uh, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, there's a bit of confusion around, uh, you know, what, what how you categorise players nowadays, but, but they're not the All Blacks. So the New Zealand, yeah, New Zealand A team, you know, I remember years ago in the 90s at a New Zealand A team, you know, travel around. Playing, you know, and the All Blacks were playing somewhere else, you know. So, um, yeah, that's been done before, but yeah, and it was a mixture of old and new players too. But yeah, no, no, no. That that I don't know why people suddenly got confused about that because, yeah, no, people um jump to conclusions quickly nowadays, don't they? They do, mate. And they do. Good stuff, Graham. Hey, thanks very much for your call, bud. Really appreciate no it. No worries, Ricardo. Th- you thanks have a for good listening. Night. Yeah, no, no worries. worries. You too, brother. Have a good one. Cheers. Uh, Graham from Christchurch there. Our text number is double eight double three. phone number 0800 A couple of texts that have come through. Michael Holdsworth. I went to the Phoenix game. I had my Phoenix jersey on last Sunday. Sunny day, about 8,000 people. Uh, come to it. Uh, that was that was huge. Uh, thanks for that, Michael. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think tw- they got four times as many people as were at Wellington's Ranfurly Shield defence, uh, which is crazy. Uh, also, uh, from Carlos, Ricardo, I can understand why you were choking earlier. United have gone on a three-game winning streak. The question for you is what connects Brent Tate, Petro Sivanasiva, Artie Beetson and Sean Stevenson? Answer, the Redcliffe Dolphins. Surely he's off now. It's from Carlos and Crosshurst. Thanks for your text. Keep those coming through. It is 8.29. When we come back, we're talking NFL. 26 away from 9 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock. Uh, Jared Cronin joins us out of the uh, out of Sydney. I was going to say out of the States, but out of Sydney. It's, it's the music that's doing it to me, Jared. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. I guess uh, Sydney is in a state, New South Wales. I guess that counts as yeah. a, a state itself. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, you've, managed, you've survived the weekend, mate. I hear you had some uh, pretty gnarly rain. Oh, mate, it's been uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty full on at certain points. Um, there's been actually quite a bit of sun in between, so uh, it's just that when it does chuck down, it it, it really comes down. So um, yeah, we'll be uh, we're looking to hopefully get a little bit of a dry patch for a while. Yeah, fingers crossed. Mate, must be just like living back here. The amount of rain <laughs> you've had in the last year and a half. I'll say when I first moved over here, it was it was bright and sunny all through winter, and I was like, this is great. And then uh, yeah, I. I I didn't see this in the uh, the catalogue that I'd bought, so um, yeah, so it's a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> exactly. I want I want my money back. Uh, l- let's talk some NFL. There was a great game today between the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Travis Kelsey had a had a great game, didn't he? Four touchdowns, but man, the, the Raiders found a way to lose that game, didn't they? They they, they shouldn't they should never have lost this game. Uh, absolutely, they have a a real habit. These Raiders have seen it a couple of times this year, whereby their defense has just done a, such a great job you know, corralling the, the quarterbacks and the opposition and, and making life hard for them. 
and you know building up decent leads they had a good lead also against the cardinals i remember which they blew so uh, i'm starting to wonder if the las vegas raiders need to be maybe start getting called the faders uh, because that's starting to be a little bit of a, an MO for those guys. Uh, and really, um, they started off well. They got some explosive plays going. Devontae Adams, a long touchdown. Uh, I've got to say that the thing that puzzles me a little bit about the Raiders is that they they haven't really emphasized the running back position. they got Josh Jacobs there, the running back, who is in the last couple of weeks, they've been utilizing him a lot more. And hey, he had Presto, a great game today. Absolutely. I felt really sorry for him, uh, you know, watching on from the sidelines as as the result played out. But um, he, he racked up some yards. He got a touchdown. And I think that he might need to become the focal point of the offense. Everyone was always, you know, talking about the connection of Derek Carr to Devontae Adams just because they played a college football together and, and now they're reunited. But I think Josh Jacobs is actually the main guy on offense at the moment, uh, particularly when you've got Darren Waller, the star tight end, who, uh, who couldn't play tonight as well. So um, hard luck for the Raiders. They, they did play well. Uh, they just couldn't quite seem to get, uh, you know, just, just those key moments. A couple of, well, they had a number of penalties which held them back throughout. Even when they were leading, they were, they were having stupid penalties. Um, and even on the defensive side of things, just looking at the stats, they've managed to, uh, you know, keep uh, Travis Kelsey to 25 receiving yards, seven receptions for 25 yards. You would take that every single week. The only problem with that is uh, four of those receptions were, as you say, for touchdowns. So that's a bit of a problem. But um, yeah, I guess looking at it holistically, I think there's still there's still a lot for them to build on. And I do like the draw that the Raiders have coming up. They've got in the next six games, they've got the Texans, the Saints, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Broncos, and the Seahawks. And four of those games are at home. So uh, fear not, bro. I think you guys will you'll come back. I, I think you've uh, you've got a, a bit to say about this season yet. Yeah, well, there, I mean, there's some interesting results again. I mean, this season, for me, so far has been the hardest to pick that I can remember. Um, you know, we saw the Colts get up over the Broncos on Friday 12-9 and a game that won't be remembered. Um, oh, boy. But the New York Giants, I mean, didn't see this coming in preseason. They are now four and one. In fact, I think the AFC uh, North, uh, AFC no, AFC East has got three teams in it on four and one, including uh, that Giants team after they beat up on the Packers. Yeah, the NFC beast has, has emerged this year. Uh, I tell you what, the um, seeing the the Giants do well and succeed, it actually has reminded me of uh, the the fateful words of former. General Manager Dave Gettleman, who was the guy responsible for drafting Daniel Jones. And he said at the time, you know, when people were ridiculing him for making that call, he said, look, in three years' time, Daniel will still be the quarterback and we'll all be laughing, you know, at everyone else, the naysayers. Um, so I, I guess now that he's, um, you know, effectively lost his job and into uh, retirement, he's probably having a wry laugh somewhere. But um, the Giants are doing really well. They've, they've got Saquon Barkley back and healthy. So that's a huge key piece of the offense. Like how I mentioned with the Raiders, they need to start focusing more on Josh Jacobs. That's exactly what these Giants have done. And they've said, all right, Saquon, we're going to try and utilize everything that you can offer us. Uh, and, and the defense as well, they've they've drafted well. They've brought in some good personnel. Uh, and the defense is, is doing a heck of a job, albeit got to put a bit of a footnote on that because the Packers so far have been a bit stuttering, shall we say. Um, offensively, they're, they're not anywhere near where they should be. Uh, and defense, defense is still pretty solid. Um, and, and they are still sitting at three and two, mind you. But um, but yeah, I, I guess a few things for them to work on because um, there's been a few problems showing up early in the early part of the season. Yeah, there has. Um, there has. But I think they're 
I still think, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, I mean, they, they lost the first game last season and, and then went on a streak. And I thought maybe we were going to see something similar, but it hasn't quite come to pass just yet. Uh, other teams in that division, uh, I mentioned the Cowboys are also 4-1 and one after they got up over the Rams uh, in LA as well, 22-10. to 10. And um, the Eagles have probably had their toughest test yet. They're the only team that are 5-0, and uh, beating the Cards 2017. They had a handy lead, and that nearly threw that away too. But uh, that division is now looking like the strongest division in the uh, in the whole league. Well, I'm sure everyone was predicting that as we headed into the season, surely. <laughs> man, <laughs> no. oh man, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's upside-down world we live in. Um, and I, I know it is early days, five games into the season, so a, a long way to go. Uh, but like you say, those those early signs, uh, especially the Eagles are unbeaten and they did struggle a little bit to, to get over the hump against the Cardinals, uh, albeit it was played in Arizona, not an easy place to win. Um, so the fact that they were able to just get there in the end, maybe just highlighted a few of their limitations that they might need to work on, perhaps uh, particularly in the passing game, just got shown up a little bit. Uh, but the Cowboys, man, they've, they have come on really well and they have adjusted. Dak Prescott, star quarterback, goes out. Everyone's like, oh, no, the roof's caved in. They had a terrible loss against the Buccaneers. And they bring in a guy called Cooper Rush to just play quarterback and just just not really, you know, just steady the ship a little bit. Um, but the thing that they're really winning the, these games on is, is their defense at the moment. The defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, is uh, he's got them zipping around and causing opponents all sorts of problems. And so it makes a quarterback's job a lot easier when your, your defense is out there and just completely savaging the uh, the opposition. So um, I, I'm excited for what the Cowboys can bring. Also, uh, there is a, uh, there's a couple of massive games coming up uh, next week, and one of them is actually featuring the Cowboys going up against none other than the Philadelphia Eagles. So whew, buckle up, everyone. It's going to get very interesting. Yeah, it's going to get interesting. All right, mate. Uh, of course, uh, we mentioned that they, uh, the Cowboys had that win against the Rams. The Rams are the reigning Super Bowl champions. Uh, they currently sit 2-3, and three. And the NFC West, um, so it's it's not all bad news for them at the moment because the other teams around them, the Cardinals, the Seahawks are two and three as well, and the 49ers lead the division on three and two. But what would I would imagine uh, be an issue for a Super Bowl champion team is having scored eighty points in five games. They're scoring less than twenty a game. Yeah, they're setting a uh, bit of a record-setting pace uh, currently, and, and not in the good sense. Uh, for Super Bowl winning sides, you know, backing up into the next year. Uh, also a little bit worrying is that they have, they've really bucked their own trend because in the previous five seasons that Sean McVay has been the head coach, uh, they've, they've never sort of uh, gotten to this point in the season and, uh, and had a losing record. Usually they're kind of sitting at like a four and one or even a five and oh, they've had a few seasons in, in that sort of zone. So they're in uncharted territory and they're going to have to make a few adjustments on the fly. Um, when they brought in Allen Robinson, the wide receiver, uh, to go alongside Cooper Cup, that that basically everybody was thinking, okay, this is going to be such a, a great addition to what they had going uh, and to try and just relieve a little bit of that pressure on the Cooper Cup-Matthew Stafford combination. Uh, and so far, we haven't really seen it at all. Stafford hasn't found Robinson with any regularity. And uh, and he's just he's, he's leaning, really leaning heavily on Cooper Cup and defenses have just, you know, they can they can sort of limit, I guess, the damage. They've kind of keyed on it and figured it out and gone, okay, if we can just limit the damage that number 10 does uh, with the ball, then we can, you know, give ourselves every chance to win the game. 
And yeah, that, and that's the way it's been going. So the, yeah, the Rams are struggling offensively at the moment. Uh, the Bucks not having it all their own way, although they did get another win, um, a close win over your Falcons, and in that NFC South uh, is again tight. Uh, you know, the Bucks three and two, the Saints two and three, the Falcons two and three, uh, and the Panthers, who have just sacked their coach Matt Rule, are one and four, uh, sort of uh, bringing up the rear. Yeah, it's a bit all over the place, isn't it? The old NFC South. Um, but the Panthers, of course, you mentioned there, Matt Rule getting the uh, the boot uh, earlier today. And uh, everyone was kind of asking the question, uh, who was going to be the first coach, you know, to get sacked? And I actually had my money on uh, uh, Riverboat Ron, um, Ron Rivera over at the uh, Washington Commanders. So mm. so that bet hasn't come through. But um, yeah, Matt Rule and the Panthers, they, they fell to one and four. They haven't looked good. Uh, they haven't looked good for a little while, to be honest. Uh, and I just looking at what they've done um, in terms of bringing in players for the past three seasons, they've tried different quarterbacks this year. They've brought in Baker Mayfield before that they brought in uh, Sam Darnold last year. And, and the results have just kind of all merged into the, the same sort of zone. Uh, and Christian McCaffrey, the star running back is, I, I don't know if he's gotten to a point in his career where all of the, um, the, the mileage he's built up in the early seasons of his career, they've just start to catch up with him. Um, so they've not been able to lean on him and keep him properly healthy. He's made a few plays here and there, but not consistently. Uh, the defensive side of, of the ball is actually going pretty well, but their biggest problem has been that if an opposition is allowed to score more than 17 points, they're not going to win. Mm. So uh, that, that, that's a real problem. And um, I don't know how the uh, the incoming coach, the, obviously this interim coach will be coming in um, in the next few days, but uh, whoever they get on full-time, Next year, they're going to have to look at doing something at the quarterback position to really try and change things because uh, it's looking a bit stale at the moment in Carolina. Now, we mentioned uh, the Green Bay Packers getting uh, beaten uh, earlier, um, but and, and, and that was an upset against the, with the Giants getting the win there. Uh, the Bears have lost uh, two and three now, um, and the Lions got blanked by the Pats, which I didn't see coming because uh, the Lions have been tracking all right, uh, you know, losing games but only losing the them just, but probably the Vikings are the bigger surprise, aren't they? Four and one. I don't. Know. I don't think we we saw them leading the NFC North. I thought we kind of thought they might be around the wild card spots, but probably not quite good enough. That's generally where they tend to sit around that sort of zone on the fringe. You know, mm. uh, a lot of potential with what they can do, but often not really delivering the results that their fans are, are craving. You know, so um, yeah, exciting times for them that they have gotten to four and one. Um, and that they actually, to be fair, they haven't even looked that flash in a lot of these games. They've they've kind of threatened at different points. Uh, the first win uh, that they had at the start of the season against the Packers was probably the most comprehensive they've had. Um, and from there on, the uh, the offense has shown flashes of, of what it can do. The defense is holding up their end of the bargain. And uh, and new coach Kevin O'Connell is, is bringing a real aggressiveness to what they're trying to do uh, on both sides of the ball. So it seems like that's a, a nice refreshing change for uh, a lot of these guys in Minnesota. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds in the coming weeks if they can, you know, they, they need to, I guess they need to adjust their mindset now into the, the zone of, you know, they're leading the pack in the NFC North. So so often they've been trailing behind and, and kind of working in the shadows, and now they're uh, they're out in front early. So, can they keep that momentum going, or is it going to start to wear them down? 
Yeah, great question, um, because uh, yeah, a lot of work to do yet to come in this season. Uh, also this weekend, uh, we saw the Buffalo Bills really stamp their authority on the AFC uh, with that dominant win, 38-3, over the Steelers. I know the Steelers are in a little bit of a rebuild, but ge- I think generally speaking, everyone thought they'd still be pretty uh, competitive in the AFC North, but they've just been blown away, and they currently sit 1-4. Yeah, I don't know if the uh, Buffalo Bills have um, have forgotten about game one of last year where the Steelers just, you know, got a nice little upset win over them. So I feel like there was a little bit of a blowback there to, um, you know, to, to Mike Tomlin and the, and the Steelers and, and the Bills just came out. I think that they have, they've come out, out the gates really quickly. They started strong. Everyone was like, well, this team is better than every other team in the NFL. Uh, by quite a bit and then over the the preceding kind of or the following couple of weeks they have just faltered a little bit and kind of had a a few problems here and there so just knowing that they can come out in games like this and just completely destroy a team uh, that will bode well for them Um, and uh, as we look ahead as well uh, just looking at the games that are coming up next week Oh boy, the Bills are going to be traveling over to Arrowhead Stadium to play against the Chiefs. So a couple of four and one teams and a couple of real explosive um, sides, as we saw in the playoffs last year. Um, that, that could be a, a cracking game. We'll see um, see how that unfolds. Yeah, and uh, just before we let you go, mate, we should talk about uh, also in the AFC East, the two teams chasing the Bills, the Jets and the Dolphins met. When was the last time the Jets scored 40 points in a game? Uh, I mean, we can put this down to the Dolphins having a few injuries, but that was an impressive performance. Yeah, some very exciting times, I think, for uh, for new both New York teams, really. Um, but the New York Jets especially, they've got a couple of guys that they've brought in this year. They're a very young squad in, in key positions. Uh, Zach Wilson, of course, is a second-year quarterback. Um, everyone was just worrying about how he, how he was going to adjust coming into the second year after having struggled in year one. He's doing a nice, solid job, but the, the guys around him that they've brought in, Brees Hall, the running back, rookie running back, he's exploded out of the gates and... Everyone's looking at him going, wow, this guy's going to be a star. So that's that's a great add to the offense. Uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball, they got a guy called Sauce Gardner. How good name is that one? That's a, <laughs> an absolute cracker. Sauce Gardner is um, uh, yeah is being actually rated already as one of the best cornerbacks in the entire NFL. So that's not bad for a guy who's really only played five games so far in his NFL career. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Good stuff, Jero. Thanks for joining us, mate. Always good to catch up. And uh, just once again, those games you're looking forward to next weekend in the NFL? Oh, mate, yeah, there's there's a couple coming up. Bills, Chiefs, um, followed by the, the Cowboys versus Eagles. That's going to be – both of those games are on Monday, um, New Zealand uh, time. So, yeah, I, I guess those will be the uh, the big ones to watch, the uh, the showstoppers. Just grab yourself some popcorn and uh, and sit back and enjoy. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff, man. Uh, go well, and we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Awesome, mate. I'll get my umbrella. <laughs> yeah, do. <laughs> get your umbrella out. Maybe your floaties as well. Uh, <laughs> it is 10 away from 9 here on SENZ. It's uh, 6 away from 9 o'clock here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock tonight. Our number here, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811. Uh, if you want to give us a call about any of the sport that's going on at the moment, uh, I know the All Black 15 selection has a lot of people uh, talking about the names that aren't there, maybe some of the names that are. The Rugby League World Cup, not too far away. We're going to talk to John Davidson, an Australian out of the UK, after 10 o'clock on that. Now, it'll be interesting to get his take on the strength of the various sides and whether he thinks England can make it uh, into the semi-finals. There is some 
people. Gary Schofield, former England captain, one of them, questioning uh, the decisions that uh, Shane Wayne has made around, uh, Sean Wayne, I should say, has made around uh, selections for that England team. So we'll talk to him about that and get his take on the Kangaroos squad as well. Um, he was there for the Kiwis, beating up on Leeds. So we'll we'll get his take on that, uh, all of that to come too. So, uh, yeah, feel free to throw your questions through to us. Double eight double three, the text number, or 0800 150 811. We're also going to talk football as well after 10 o'clock. Between now and then, though, we're going to talk boxing. We're going to talk UFC as well. There's plenty happening this weekend. Uh, Devin Haney versus George Cambosis. Looking forward to this fight, uh, not just the fight, but the card, because on the card, David Nika and Hemi Ahio, two uh, big Kiwi boxing prospects, are going to be on that card as well. Nika as a cruiserweight, Ahio as a heavyweight, and uh, we'll talk about that in the next hour as well. Anything else that you want to chat, 0800 150 or text us on double eight double three. It's just gone at 9 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. Going to be talking uh, fight sports this hour. Uh, UFC, we've got a big fight schedule coming up in the next couple of weeks. And I see actually in the news, uh, which is interesting, it's, it's pretty exciting that we are going to see the UFC back down in this part of the world. Now, it's not quite across the ditch. It's a little bit further than that, but uh, it is coming to Perth for the first time. Um, And it sounds like Alexander Volkanovsky is going to defend his title in Perth February next year. February next year, we're going to see the UFC in Perth, Australia. So that'll be another new city uh, for Perth, uh, sorry, for the UFC to appear in. And uh, I think that would be a great trip. Uh, it is the first time um, it's been in Aussie since 2019, October 2019. And it is going to be UFC 284. So not a fight night. It's one of the big ones. And looking forward to seeing that. And uh, the Volk uh, defending his title there as well. Coming up this weekend, uh, we've got a UFC fight night, which is going to set us up beautifully for UFC 280 the weekend after. But... Women's flyweights uh, dominate that. They headline the fight Alexa Grasso versus uh, Vivian Arayo out of Brazil. Um, uh, Grasso, the, the big favourite, the Mexican there. Cub Swanson is back in a bantamweight fight against Jonathan Martinez as well. Uh, there's a few of the smaller guys kicking around. Askar Askarov up against uh, Brandon Royval from the US. Uh, the Russian man, he can bang. So that is going to be a great fight as well. And a few others uh, that we can look forward to on that card. Uh, so that is coming up this weekend, the following weekend, we get to go and uh, check out UFC 280, which of course is headlined by uh, Charles Oliveira up against uh, Makahachev. And that uh, Islam Makahachev is the favourite in this one, Oliveira is uh, at a dollar fifty. It is a lightweight title belt, but um, yeah, plus one fifty. I should say uh, Oliveira is the outsider. But looking forward to that fight, man. That, and that card is just absolutely stacked. Not only is the lightweight title on the line, but the bantamweight title is on the line as well. El Jermaine Sterling defends his title up against T.J. Dillashaw. And then we have Paddy Yarn in action, of course, who will be looking at that fight. Uh, and he'll be looking to um, to beat Sean O'Malley, who is uh, ranked 12th at the moment. Paddy Yarn is ranked number one. Uh, whoever wins that, you would think, would get it, uh, the next title shot. Also, Benil Dayush 
against Machu's Gamrot. Gamrot very much a wrestler. Uh, Dayush can do a bit of both, but it's probably more at home on the deck. And then there's a woman's flyweight belt on the main card as well. Caitlin Chuk again up against Manon Fulrot. So, uh, yeah, another stacked card. Um, and to be honest, even the prelims, there are some great fights on that prelim card as well. Uh, so looking forward to UFC 280 next weekend. Of course, I know that uh, we've got a few Kiwi boys not in action just at the moment. They're getting ready for their bouts, and uh, we're going to catch up with Hot Rod McSwain shortly, and he's going to give us the lowdown on those. And joining us uh, to talk UFC, talk a few of the Kiwi fighters around the traps and uh, what's coming up as well on your MMA fight calendar is Hot Rod McSwain, New Zealand trainer and uh, former pro fighter himself. G'day Rod, how are you? Hey, good. How's it going, Ricardo? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Yeah, I know uh, the boys at CKB are, um, uh, are going to be uh, pretty busy at the moment because, uh, I mean, it's not just... Obviously, UFC fighters. You've got. You've also got boxers and kickboxers in the uh, in the gym as well. And one of them is fighting this weekend over on that uh, Cambosis Haney card, isn't he? Up against uh, David Nika. Yeah, we got. I think there's two of them on that card, bro. We got um, Titu um, Mosunga, and we also have um, Himiahio, bro. So there's two of the boys on the card. Yeah, fantastic. Who's uh, who's heading over for that? So we got Doug. Doug will be. Um, Heading over to to help the boys out, boxing coach Doug. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, you know Himiahio looks like uh, he's the goods man. He he, he looks a great fighter, but uh, um, I don't know that the uh, his opponent is is going to be as much of a challenge as you would like. But boy, uh, uh, that David Nika fight looks interesting. Man, that's yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Titi Motusanga, he's um, he's pretty good man. He hasn't had the right. He hasn't had the uh, the right challenge here in New Zealand, and with sparring partners like Israel and Carlos, who can mimic the movement, height, and looks like of David Nika, um, bro, I'm I'm really excited for that scrap. I mean, Nika has him on in, in height and reach. So what what's been the work ons, and how do you know when you've got a fighter? Obviously, you can't use the legs. You, you know, it's a, it's a boxing fight. So when you've got a fighter going into something like that, how are you preparing them for, to take on a guy with better reach and and, and better height? Well, if it was me personally, um, Doug has his, Doug's an excellent, excellent boxing coach and um, great footwork, um, both stances. He's got the boys fighting orthodox, southpaw, cutting cutting the tall fighters off, cutting off the ring, uh, great ring awareness. And if you watch Hemi fight, he um, a lot of the time he'll cut off in southpaw and people just don't expect to be attacked when someone's in southpaw and it's very hard to defend. So I'd probably look to uh, try and get on the inside try and make him uncomfortable early on and um, drop down to the body and try and set up something up top. Maybe try and turn it into a into a scrap rather than a, a long-range fight because Nico on the outside, is, he's a dangerous guy, man. He's, you know, Commonwealth Games and just his experience in pro boxing. I try to get him on the inside, get in early, get to the body to try and get some gas away from him and just really turn it into a scrap. Yeah, and I think that's probably something that, you know, if you're David's coach, it's exactly what you're wanting to avoid. You're wanting to turn this into, you know, Lennox Lewis versus David Tua, right? Use that length, use that jab, and, and, and just keep him off you and uh, keep the fight at a distance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's textbook long-range fighter versus the shorter inside fighter, you know. But, um, you know, Tyson would try and rock up his opponents, try and get them to stand and bang a little bit longer. And if we can play those mental games, then... um. Bro, it's a dangerous game to play. 
Yeah, very much so, mate. Very much so. Uh, what about Hemi? What, what do you know about his opponent? And um, you know, what's the what's the goal here? Is it just to get the W, or are you, are you looking to, or is Doug with him looking to achieve certain things, work on certain things? Maybe you get a KO on the resume and and, and look good for the cameras. I'm not too sure. Um, like always, obviously looking for the win. Probably looking for uh, this. This is a chance. Ricardo on a massive stage. This is probably the biggest stage the boys have had and put two of them on there. As long as they come away with a good performance, potentially a good knockout for Hemi, um, this would be a great stepping stone to future cards on um, such a big scale like this one. So as long as the boys perform well, and, um, you know, he, man, Hemi always does, and um, even if, if Titi performs well, even if he doesn't get the W, man, it, this is going to set him up for some... Uh, some other bigger cards across the ditch because Aussie, they're, man, they're doing so well at, at boxing at the moment, putting on big shows, and we just want a ticket to the big show, you know? Yeah, totally, man. Well, you know, and Dean Lonigan's doing a lot of that work over there now, you know, as well, um, and we see him involved with peach boxing and, you know, the guys like Andre uh, Mikhailovich and Jerome Pamplone and David Light, who fought over there last weekend as well. Man, there's some great fighters coming out of both both countries at the moment. Oh, it's so good to see it's been a long time coming you know it's finally you know we're finally getting recognized not only in the south pacific but um across the globe how we used to be in k1 now it's um and with david tour and um with unfortunately with parker and his recent loss but um you know the new the new blood is coming up and um man they're doing well eh? Yeah, doing really well, mate. We're doing really well um, on the on that world stage. Uh, I, I know we're going we're gonna to talk some MMA uh, shortly and talk about some of those other guys at uh, CKB. But what next for Joe Parker? Do you think after that, where where does he go? Is it, is it an Andy Ruiz? Does he try and uh, get back in there with um, Dillian White? What, what do you reckon he'll look to do? Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, eh? Because I thought this fight for Parker was a you know was the right fight to make at the right time bit of a step down from his top five opponents that he's used to used to fighting and um take up take on someone a little bit lower in the rankings and try you know uh have a good performance but unfortunately Burry got you know he was getting dominated and got caught so I imagine rather than going up he'd probably have to drop back down to maybe a top 20 or a top 30 opponent uh, get himself a win or get himself a couple of wins build himself back up um and have one last go at the um at the number one spot because a lot of people are you know what people are like man they you get a loss or you get a few losses and it's the fight game man you're you're very vulnerable out there you know you get to people see you at your highest of highs and they see you at your lowest of lows you know no one no sport puts you on the spot like combat sport and um people bringing him down they don't realize what he's what he goes through for his training and his uh you know behind the scenes you put everything into a camp and I, I don't think this is the end of Joe. I think take a lesser opponent, get a win, get a few wins, start building your way back up. He's still young. Yeah, he's you know, still he's only still 30, young. isn't he? Yeah, I think he's uh, early early 30s, coming up to mid-30s. And, um, man, make a, make another go at the title. You know, like this is a couple of setbacks. We've all had setbacks. You know, Israel, imagine if Israel quit after his knockout against Pereira. You know, now look where he is. He's about to fight him again. And what an opportunity that is, you yeah. know. So, you know, adversity is uh, what we do next. And I think 
Joe Parker. This is definitely not the last we've seen of him. No, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But uh, yeah, and it's like you say, I, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody out of his camp was saying, you know, uh, even ahead of this fight, and I don't think they were saying it to to give themselves an excuse or anything, but they were just saying, look, you know, the, the days of fighters at this level um, having to only have, you know, no or one loss to be able to challenge for a world title. When you've got so many good guys around, you know, people are going to lose more fights because they're going to fight more and there's so many more good guys around. So, you know, it used to be that you didn't really get a title shot if you unless you were undefeated or maybe you'd had one loss, but I, th- I think that's gone now. Which is a ridiculous thing anyway. You know what I mean? There's a stigma around, especially in boxing, and it's more coming into MMA now, where people think, oh, well, you know, we get a loss. It's devastating for my career. It's no, no, how no, no way. You know, I think Dan entered the, the UFC at five or six losses, you know, next to his record, and he quickly made it through, through to the top five. And, um, man, you losing, you know, we either win or we learn, you know. Some of the coaches uh, let us know, okay, you win or you learn. There's, um, you know, we don't we don't take losses. We we take learning curves, and then as long as you can grow from it and be, become better, then you know you don't you don't learn too much from a win, Ricardo. You know, but holy shit, do you learn a lot from a loss? Yeah, I bet. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you about some of the CKB boys, and I know you you work pretty closely with with a lot of them, um, and and just kind of seeing where they're at, what they're doing at the moment. Um, and, you know, we should talk about a couple of those guys who have probably had a uh, just about due another fight. What, what about, like, you know, someone like Mike Blood Diamond? I mean, he's, um, you know, had two fights in the UFC. He's had two losses. Uh, first one by submission, second one by decision. He should have probably won that fight, but I think looked like he went, a, went away from coach's direction, coach's orders. Uh, where, where's he at at the moment, and when are we likely to see him fight again? Yeah, Mike's... Mike's in the gym. Mike's training. He um, he's awesome. He he's the man. He's, I think they're trying to get him another fight. Um, he just needs a bit of time off and a a bit of, because there's a lot of guys fighting Ricardo. You know the attention from the coaches gets drawn out a little bit. So um, you know you just gotta kind of not not wait your turn, but just um, you know we can't just like other camps. You have maybe one or two. UFC fighters, man, and, and CKB, um, half the squad is um, fighting at the high level. So um, I think Mike's just taking a bit of time off and then slowly building himself back up. And then when he gets the call to potentially get a good match for him, and um, then we'll go from there. I think he's working on a lot of things. You know, we, you'd be silly to throw someone back in um, soon after a loss. We, we've got a lot of footage of him fighting, and you can see of what he needs to work on, which is... Bro, he's got all the tools. You can mm. see it. Just a little bit of listening in the corner, you know, like, you know, similar to myself, Dan. You know, sometimes we just want to do what we want to do, you know, <laughs> and that that doesn't always uh, turn out for the best. Mm. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see Mike. I don't know in the next few months, um, make a comeback. I would imagine that you know the 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 big work on for him at the moment is is takedown defense. Would that be right? To be honest, like that was the. That was the whole camp, last camp, and man, he was very hard to take down. And even in even in the last fight, that wasn't the thing that worked against him. What worked against him was um, allowing to be so close. You know, he, he could have kept the range and defended takedowns like he was doing, but he allowed himself to get in to clinch the kickboxing range, clinch Muay Thai style. You know, he 
he didn't keep the mixed martial arts range where you know the threat of the takedown at a long range is you know not non-existent but it's a lot more difficult to um to get a takedown if you're far away whereas mike moved into clinch willingly just like he's in a tie fight and that's i could hear huge just saying what are you doing no <laughs> separate you know you're doing well on the outside why would you go to clinch against a wrestler yeah and i think just small things like that you know mike already has the good takedown defense he's got good takedowns himself and he's got pretty good ground game you know for a um for who he is he's he's very hard to take down in the gym um it's just a a few a few small things that need to be worked on and then man you'll see the you'll see the best of mike diamond just yet yeah, all right. Well, looking forward to it, man. I mean, he was, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype. I remember talking to um, a few people about him ahead of ahead of his UFC bound. People saying, well, you know, if, if people thought Izzy was impressive, wait till you see this guy go. So uh, there was a lot of people, giving, you know, rating him pretty highly on, on, the, on that front before he uh, got into the UFC. So look forward to seeing him go again. Uh, what about uh, what about Quake? What about Brad Riddell, mate? Where's he at at the moment? Because, I mean, he was on a great run for a while there, but uh, then had a, a couple of unfortunate losses back to back. Yeah, so, so, man, that was so unfortunate. The last one, he just got caught just a little bit close, you know, and um, Brad knows what he does wrong. And I think he's just taking a bit of time for himself and um, just a bit of time to reassess because after a few losses, you know, you, you definitely don't want to jump into anything too quick. Mm. And um, he's in the gym. He's training hard, helping the boys. These are the times when the boys, when the other boys have fights, you know, you get to the gym and you're a training partner, you're helping the other boys with their fights. You're helping them with their, with their spider with their um with their workouts and um get them out of the way and then you know maybe the the tension can switch back onto um Mike, Brad, uh, Kai, Shane, you know in the next few months when they look to book themselves up. Yeah, I mean, uh, who is at the at the moment working towards a fight? Is it just Izzy or or are there others? Uh you got Israel, you got Dan, uh, Carlos, I think is on the card as well. Yeah, you got a few of the boys on the on the same card, so um, yeah, they're all in camp. They're all looking pretty good, and um, yeah, we we do a workout called Spider, and you need about three or four um, good guys to put you to put you through it, and then when you got four or five guys doing Spider, you need another f- times that by four or five, so you got twenty twenty five guys on the mats. Um, for this particular workout, and it's the hardest workout of the week. It's the fight simulator. You you might see Volk or some of the boys talking about it. So um, you can tell who's fighting by who's doing Spider, and there's there's four or five of them doing it um, every Sunday. So those are the guys who will be ready to go. Yeah, nice. What what is Spider? How does it work? So it's um it's a fight simulation. So if you're fighting three five minute rounds, um, the idea of Spider is to put you through three five minute rounds of a workout that simulates the fight so round one we um we do a bit more upper body stuff and then we put you on the wall and we just consistently take you down you get back up we take you back down and we have a fresh guy on you every 20 to 30 seconds so you're not going to win you're just constantly getting thrown on the ground get yourself back up thrown back on the ground round two we do a bit of um we switch it up so you're the guy taking everyone down so there's about three or four guys, and you're just constantly taking them down for the five minutes, among other few other things. And um, they're defending takedowns, and 
I think for me, round two is the hardest round. But round three, um, you're on the ground, and the guys got big gloves on, and they're just relentless, just beating the crap out of you for 30 seconds each. And your job is to get back to your feet. And after you get back to your feet, you have to go straight back to the floor with a new, fresh opponent, and he gets on you, and he just wails on you. <laughs> so it's um, it sounds like yeah. sounds like a good thing to watch, Rod. <laughs> it's man, it's it's tough. You you know, you're getting anxiety before you, you know, everyone gets a bit of anxiety before before you even start. Even some of the training partners, you know, because it's a, it's the same feeling you get before a fight. And a lot of the time, you work harder your output is more in a spider than it is in an actual fight. And then that's just to know, it's just reassurance when you enter the fight, you know, man, I've done this in training. I've thrown more punches than I will throw in this fight. I've thrown them in training. I've thrown more, I've defended more takedowns. I've pushed my body to the limit. You know, I know I can go there if I need to go there. So um, having that reassurance is, is great. You know, and you see the boys fourth and fifth round and you see them come through, and you see them most of the time being the fitter of their opponents. You know, you've got Volk, Israel, Dan, and, and Kai. They're super, super fit. And the reason behind that is they've done it in the gym, and they've done harder in the gym than in their fights. You know, so they got that in the back of their mind. The fitness, the endurance, the toughness, the mental toughness, it's all there. You know, that that's one part of the game they don't need to worry about. Yeah, yeah, oh, mate. That's uh, yeah. It sounds intense. It sounds intense. Uh, so you know, you got um, you know Charles. You mentioned uh, sorry, Carlos. You mentioned there uh, is is training. So is Dan. Uh, so is is he? Is he's been in the news a little bit recently. Well, not so much him, but people talking smack about him. Uh, how's that gone down? And, and and what did you make of the stuff that was said about him getting uh, KO'd? I think like Israel's. You know he he knows what casual fans are like, and he knows what the real ones are like. Any any real fan or anyone who knows anything about mixed martial arts, who's generally interested, would go and watch, go back and watch the fights. That's his normal his normal comeback. Is have you seen the fights? Have you watched the entire fights? And if people haven't, then all they see is the highlight of him getting knocked out. If people have watched the fight, they know they wouldn't even be asking the question. They know that Israel was winning both fights. And um, just unfortunately got caught in that second fight. And um, you know, I think, yeah, yeah, it's a for it'd be a tough subject to talk about. You know, like who wants to talk about getting knocked out? So um, I think I think he's looking forward to the opportunity to redeem himself with this upcoming fight, with a win or even a knockout. And then after that, who can say who can say anything to him after that? Yeah, exactly. Well, we have talked about that fight before that he did lose to Pereira, and that was, I mean, it was a fight he was comfortably winning, and he he, he got caught with you know it's that whole that old adage they have in boxing about everyone's got to punch his chance, right? He got caught with one, and uh, that finished the fight. But it was a fight that he was winning pretty comfortably. Yeah, it's a, he was winning comfortably. Gave him an eight count, you know, and then those were big gloves. Imagine what Israel's can do with those small gloves if Pereira wants to fight like that. You know, obviously they're both very different fighters you know they're both a lot better than they were but i'd still say eight nine times out of ten israel wins this fight you know i that i still believe that yeah all right mate let's uh talk uh quickly uh before you go about ufc 280 uh, not this weekend but next weekend uh charles Oliveira going head to head with islam makachev um how, how do you see this one going uh, i mean Oliveira is is the number one uh, Makachev is the number four, but uh, Makachev is the favourite. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy that he's a favourite, eh? Um, I, their skill sets, they're both beasts on the feet. They're both beasts on the ground. I think Mukachev um, is a he's more dominant on top. But uh, Oliveira off the off the bottom, he poses so many threats. I think they cancel each other out on the ground. So then, takedown wise, Makachev is a bit strong in the takedown, but uh, Oliveira is probably stronger in the clinch. And I'd feel that Oliveira would be a little bit stronger on the feet. So it's kind of even in that regard. But then you look at the experience and you look at their previous opponents, and Oliveira's fought everybody, and he's He's been in the face of adversity. He's been dropped. He's been hurt, and he's come back and won. Makachev has never been tested like that until, uh, except when his last knockout loss a few years ago. You know, he hasn't really um, been dominated or been hurt, and then come back from adversity. So um, I'm going to go with Oliveira, just purely based on being a champion, being a consistent champion, um, being knocked down, come back and won. Uh, in nearly all his title defenses, he's been knocked down, come back and won. So, um, you know, he's hard to put away. And I don't think Makachev has the power to put him away. And on the ground, I think they'll cancel each other out. So I'm going to go with Oliveira on this one. Yeah, and I think, you know, Oliveira's had 41, I think, fights at this level. And he's only gone the distance five times. So he tends to finish fights, right? I mean, and that that is something that... Uh, we don't see from Mikachev. He, he he goes to the cards a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And um, five rounds. You know, they'll both be they'll both be ready for five rounds. Um, I just really see Oliveira just as experienced, just shining through. You know, champion champion fights. Look at his opponents compared. Um, far out. I think it's. I'm really looking forward to the Ricardo. The bantamweight titles on the on the line as well. Aljamain Sterling defending against TJ Dillashaw. Um, I look at that reach advantage of four inches that Sterling has and think that's probably it's probably enough. You know, it's enough of a difference to give him the edge here. Yeah, um, I like both the guys. Eh, um, <laughs> old TJ and his and his doping. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, flip. Aljo's. Aljo's grappling, and he's probably the first time that he'll fight someone who has similar grappling to his. So TJ, TJ can wrestle, and so he'll be hard to take down. And his just is pretty, pretty on, you know, compared to his last um, Aljo's last few opponents where he had the clear advantage on the ground. I don't think he'll have the advantage on the ground as um, as much against Dillashaw. So then it'll come to the feet, and I think Aljo's stand up. He can stand for so long, but he's always looking for the takedown. You know, he'll throw a few punches, a few kicks, a few fancy spins, but he's ultimately looking looking for the takedown. And I think TJ is going to read that. So I'd I'll probably go TJ on this one. Okay, all right. Uh, definitely, definitely in the stand up, and with the takedowns, they're pretty similar. Probably TJ is probably a better wrestler than Aljo, and then the grappling advantage will be slightly in Aljo, but I don't think it'll be enough. All right, all right, mate. And uh, just finally, uh, the other fight on this card that I'm really looking forward to is Peter Yarn up against Sean O'Malley. O'Malley is ranked 12th, but if he gets a win here, man, he's jet-setted right up into possibly having a, uh, the next title shot. Man, I can't believe he took that fight. Yeah. You know, I thought, you know, the way that people make Sean O'Malley out to be is a scared and doesn't want to fight anyone in the top 
top ten, let alone the top two. Far out, um, bro. That's I didn't even know that fight was happening. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, he's fifteen and one <laughs> taking on uh, on Pediano. He's obviously sixteen and three from Pediano's point of view. He probably mirrors Aljamain Sterling a little bit and having that big reach advantage. So for him, it's an opportunity to fight a guy with that reach advantage and and make a point. Yeah, I guess. Um, what was that guy that? Uh, who's the other one in that div? He's quite tall and long. Um, he fought Aljo, and Aljo jumped on his back and choked him out. I, I think he's got a similar style to to Sean. So, um, man, I think oh, this is a great fight for Peter. <laughs> it's a good fight for him. Shivers. Yeah, it feels um, that way. I mean, it's a dangerous fight, but you'd you'd think he should he should get it done, right? Yeah, and I guess I guess the money's good, you know, um, fighting an opponent where you get hopefully he gets some pay per view points because Sean O'Malley's a big name, so he'll be he'll be getting good money for it. he's probably what is he ranked twelve against number one. That yeah. that shouldn't be happening. But um hey, if he gets a win, man, you're right, eh? If Sean gets a win, far out, he's straight away number one, number two contender. Yeah, right up yeah. I mean he'll jump I mean you I think you were talking about uh thinking about Corey Sandhagen before, is that who you're thinking about? Sandhagen. Sandhagen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's uh, yeah, I mean he's a guy that's fought Peter Yarn and Aljamain Sterling and lost to both of them, so it's kind of hard for him to yeah. know where he goes from here. Yeah, tough, tough div. Yeah, mm. tough div to be in. <laughs> really tough div, man. Really tough div. Hey, Rod, thanks very much for coming on tonight, mate. Great to chat. Uh, go well, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Yeah, awesome. Cheers, Ricardo. Cheers. Uh, Hot Rod McSwain there talking uh, UFC and a bit of the CKB scene with us here on SENZ. It is extra time, 25 away from 10. You can call us anytime you want on the sport that you want to talk, whether it's UFC or boxing, or maybe it's the rugby, maybe it's the football, maybe it's the Rugby League World Cup or the Black Caps, the cricket we had tonight. 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us on double eight double three. It's coming up 20 to 10 here on SENZ. It is extra time with Ricardo Ball, and uh, we're going to talk boxing. We were hoping to talk with uh, Rob from Before the Fight, the uh, YouTube channel out of Australia, but uh, he's been tied up with interviews, no longer able to do it. But we have uh, uh, an able replacement who's come on at the last moment, and uh, we thank him for that. Hopefully the... uh, uh, the hammies have warmed up as he comes off the bench. Uh, Chad Milnes is going to join us. Uh, Chop Chop, who played, uh, played, I should say, fought for New Zealand at the 2014 Glasgow Games. Uh, g'day, Chad. How are you, mate? Hey, good, mate. Good, good. Thanks for coming <laughs> off the bench for us. No worries. I just got up the shower. It's a shower off to jump on. <laughs> Quality. Appreciate that, mate. Here, Appreciate mate. that. Recovery, yeah. Watch oh, the- you back. The mental, the mental pitchers talking to Chad Natal. All right, well let's uh, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's talk this weekend, mate. It's a it's a big weekend of of uh, boxing all around the world. But we'll start with across the ditch uh, because uh, Devin Haney, George Cambosis Jr. Of course, it's live uh, free to air on TVNZ as well. Uh, looking forward to this one. I mean, Haney was so dominant in that first win, um, the rematch. What do you think George Cambosis Jr. can do to close that gap? It's it's you know it's quite a it is a really tough fight for George and and um you know it's I'm really curious as to what he could do I mean he did have success a little bit more in the last fight when he just you know threw caution to the wind and got inside and tried to bang him up and it wasn't a whole lot of success but it was still success um you know Devin Haney is not Teofimo Lopez 
style-wise, which is where George got his, you know, his his um, overnight success, overnight success, but shot him up to start him. And, uh, you know, Kevin Lopez took George as a nobody. So really, really underestimated him. His father underestimated him. He didn't make weight well. Everything that could have gone wrong pretty much did. And George was able to capitalize that because he is tough as, and he's really determined um, but, you know, Devin Haney's seen that, and he came prepared, and he came with a game plan, and he is a better boxer. Um, and, you know, it, it was evident in the last fight that jab was awesome. And, and, you know, besides the jab, really, not a whole bunch of other punches are that great, but his jab was consistent. And, you know, the, the saying goes, the, the, the right hand takes you around the block, but the jab can take you around the world. And it did. It took him to the world titles. So, um it's going to be pretty hard for George to overcome that, but he's going to have to throw caution to the wind and turn it into a dogfight. And um, and I hope that he's really come up with a different kind of game plan like that. And uh, but I also think that the thing with about George is he is the underdog. He always he when he's the underdog, he rises to the occasion, just like he was in the last fight. He rises to the occasion, and even as an as a professional in his up and coming fights, you know, our previous fights when he was on the way up. He was the underdog in all of them, and he rose to the occasion. And uh, it kind of felt like when he fought Devin Haney, he wasn't the underdog. And it was there was that fire was lacking in him in a little bit, you know. And um, But I think he's got that back now. Maybe he needs to be in that position where everyone's against him, and he rises to it. So I hope that that comes through this weekend. I'm, I'm cheering for our Anzac boys. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the thing I, I, I saw in that fight, and you brought it up there, is, is Haney's jab and you know, just how, how dominant that was, and he, he did everything off the back of it. Um, so for Cambosis Jr., he needs to, you know, find another way to get at him. He needs to he get, needs to get off centre more and maybe just move his head more. Yeah, but, you know, it's... it's um. He sort of has a, you know, he has a style, and what I kind of feel like I see in a style is, he is a sparring partner kind of boxer. And, um, you know, he's sparred with Manny Pacquiao and he's been inspired a whole bunch of other high-level boxers. And that's kind of what gave him a bit of notoriety. And, and he was able to fight on undercards and fight in the States and kind of piggyback on on that. And he kind of fights as a, a bit of a sparring partner. And a sparring partner against, you know, weapons like Manny Pacquiao was, you know how to look after yourself when someone goes at you and you know how to score some punches you know, pot shot punches and how to survive and how to hold and, and, and land single shots here and there. But, but uh, you know, going to get someone like Devin Haney, Devin Haney is not going up there and seeking to destroy kind of guy. He's a boxer. And uh, and that kind of exposed, I think, a little bit of George's style in that we, you know, he just lands the, the lead left hooks and the offbeat right hands and the single jabs. Um, so he has to, I think, almost find a new kind of style and, and work on those aggressive, um, you know, sort of combinations and, and tactics of cutting off the ring and moving his head and aggressing off the jab. I think that it's a pretty tall order for for, um, for George to come up with in one training camp to change his style and to change how he's boxed uh, pretty much his whole life and, and, and do that against a skilled boxer like Devin Haney. Um, but, you know, I don't want to doubt him. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean... You know, if you were gonna, if you were gonna put some of your hard earned on this fight, where would you be putting it? Oh, I'd have to go Devin Haney. I'd have to go Devin Haney. I mean, he the, the the fight in the last one was so dominant that 
it would be it'd be pretty he'd have to pull up something pretty miraculous to come back from that kind of a school that he got. Um so my smart money's on uh on Devin Haney, my heart's to George and we'll be right to the end. I'll happily lose money for George to win. <laughs> yeah, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. We'll get a couple of Kiwis on the undercard, mate. Uh Hemi Ahio, the heavyweight, uh, up against uh Faiga Opilu, who I don't know too much about. He's Samoan guy fighting out of Queensland. Um, he's got a 14-3-1 record. Uh, I don't know how much you, you know about him or if you you know anything about him, but uh, I, I guess it's more about what we know about Hemi, right? Uh, I, I don't I don't know too much about um, Faiga Apelu, but I do know that he's been knocked out by Lucas Brown and Dr. Tony. I don't know much too much about his success, but I know he's been knocked out by, by those two fighters. And, um, I mean... I mean, Lucas Brown and, and his last appearance uh, knocked out Junior Fire, and that was a bit of a shock. And, and so that kind of, you know, it's not like it's it's uh, uh, a far-fetched kind of result that Lucas Brown would knock someone else out because he is his whole career is built on um, upset knockouts. I mean, upset knockout against Ruslan Shagaev years ago to win the title. So, um, you know, it, it's it's not a it's it's not a bad loss, let's say. Um, and he's been knocked up by Justice Honey, and Justice Honey in his last fight showed absolute class against uh, Joe Goodall. But didn't didn't show that knockout power, but this guy's been knocked out by him. So, you know, maybe maybe the punch resistance is not too great. But what we do know is that Hemi Ahio is a massive puncher. Uh, I mean, he's the he's the Pacific uh, uh, like Mike Tyson, any um, style wise like Mike Tyson, short compact punches. Um, and in his last fight, he he beat uh, a pretty tough guy, and and Chris, I think his name Christian Inzi Kasoi, the from a boxer from Cameroon. He's pretty tough, um, and he was able to to uh, dispose of him via the short route. Um, I mean, I'm going to pick um, Hemi. I don't know too much about this guy. I haven't seen him, but he's been knocked out by Lucas and Justin Sweet. Um, and I, and I'm sure that Hemi's on there to prove a point. You know, he's getting a bit older. He's he's got to make his mark in the sport. So. I'm sure he's out to uh, to show everyone who he is and on a big stage like that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be great that the whole thing's free to air as well and these guys get uh, seen by a whole heap of people. Um, and now uh, we've also got David Nika at Cruiserweight uh, on this bill. He's uh, fighting Titi um, Motusaga, who uh, also fights out of CKB. Uh, this on paper looks like it should be reasonably straightforward for David. I mean, uh, Titi's got a 4-0 record. He hasn't lost, uh, but he hasn't fought as much as David has either, and he's giving up a lot of reach. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. Uh, I think, I think um, with this as well, you know, I look at David's recent performances, and he's still making that adjustment to the professional boxing style. Um, you know, in his last fight, he he got caught a little bit early, caught a bit cold, as say, you know, um, but then he came back and disposed of his opponent. And then in the fight before that, he fought uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but. But it was on the last uh, Cambosis um, and Devin Haney card, and and um, it was a tough fight. It was a five round fight, and maybe before six rounds, it could have gone the other way. The momentum shifted after about the first couple rounds. Um, but you know, for Dave, I, I, I'm sure that he's walked away and learned a little bit from those experiences, and and part of that is adjusting to the program, which is a, a different game to the Olympics, uh, to the amateur boxing where he's an Olympic medalist. Um, 
But I also got to look at this fight itself. And, and uh, from what I've seen of TT is he's, uh, first of all, doesn't have the amateur pedigree that, that Dave Naika has, and not many people do. But also style-wise, from what I've seen, he's quite a good boxer. He's a good boxer. He's a good counter-puncher. He's got, some, he's got a decent amount of power. Um, but when you look at it from a style perspective, David Naika is a hard guy to counter. He's a guy that you catch with aggression and you catch making it messy and you're wild and you apply the pressure. Um, so style-wise, from what I've seen in the past, it doesn't look like a great matchup for Titi. But, but also what I do know is that Doug, Doug Viney is, is part of the coaching team and, and I don't think Doug Viney would put his name and forward you know, as, as German and put a fighter on if he didn't have faith in his fighter because he always does. He, you know, he backs his fighters when he takes fights. So I don't know Doug to be a guy to put in guys to walk in and lose. You know, he always goes to win. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there'll, there'll be a little bit more to the fight. Perhaps TT has a good game plan. They feel that they see something in David Naika's game that they can exploit. Um, so, you know, it, it looks like it might be sort of a routine affair for, for Dave, but I feel like there might be some other things there that could surprise us. Yeah. Good stuff, man. All right, Chad. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. We'll let you get in the back of the shower now. Uh, really appreciate you coming on at short <laughs> yeah. notice, mate, and, and, and talking boxing with us. We'll see you at the box office in Greyland uh, Thursday morning, bright and early. Yeah, Thursday, mate. Sounds good. Deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> Chad Bell's here with us. Chop, chop. Uh, fought at the Glasgow Com Games for New Zealand. Now runs at the box office in Greyland. We are nine away from ten. It's coming up 5 to 10. After 10 o'clock, we're going to talk Rugby League, the Rugby League World Cup, not too far away. Johnny Davidson is going to join us to talk that. But uh, before we uh, finish talking fight sports, uh, got to acknowledge uh, the passing of Ernie Shavers, uh, passed away at the age of 78. Uh, he's a guy, when I met Larry Holmes, uh, Larry Holmes, we were sat around with a bunch of journos and somebody asked him who the heaviest puncher or hardest puncher was he'd ever faced. And everybody expected him to say Mike Tyson. But he didn't. He said Ernie Shavers. So the guy hit like a hammer. And I was just reading some of the guy they called the Black Destroyers uh, career record numbers. He won 33 straight fights in a span of just three years. And he won 32 of them by knockout. Uh, his final record, he fought to uh, 1995. 74 wins, 68 by knockout. Huge. It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. And joining us out of the UK to talk Rugby League World Cup is uh, the one, the only, uh, Johnny Davidson from RugbyLeagueHub.com. Long reads. Uh, you can find them at Patreon. G'day, Johnny. How are you, mate? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, how amped are you? And then how amped is the, the North of England for the uh, Rugby League World Cup? Yeah, we just had the, uh, the official launch yesterday um, in at, uh, Manchester at the Museum of Science and Technology, and everyone's gearing up. Uh, I don't know how many sleeps are we? I think four more sleeps uh, until Saturday in Newcastle, England, and tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be an amazing tournament. Well, on that, mate, I mean, you know, how nervous do you think English fans are? Because I look at that Samoan team, it looks stacked. Tonga, we know all about. Um, what chance do you give England to make the semi-finals? Is every chance they don't get that far? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an excellent point. I think um, I think there are, you know, with a lot of people, there are a lot of worries because not only, um, you know, just how how stacked that Samoan team, as you said, with you know 
all the Penrith players and, you know, just some unbelievable talent there. Uh, there's also England have really been um, hit hard by injury. They're missing, you know, probably 10 players who'd who'd make that squad. And then, you've, you know, you've got the likes of James Roby, who's um, retired from international rug, uh, rugby league and then, you know, a few retirements since um, 2017. So it's going to be difficult. Um, but I think, you know, they had a trial against Fiji uh, last Friday and they beat Fiji 50 nil. Fiji were missing their NRL players. But, you know, a 50 nil win uh, as a warm-up game gives you a bit of confidence. Definitely gives you a bit of confidence. I was I, I was going to get to, uh, uh, to to Fiji a little bit later on, uh, given the the name that the uh, the squad the Kangaroos have named, but um, uh, that's put a bit of a dampener on that. But we'll get there, mate. Uh, I, I saw that you did a story too uh, about Gary Schofield. He, he's been quite critical of the squad that has been selected. I mean, who did he think should have been there that wasn't? And do you agree with him? Well, I think I I, I agree with some of what he's said. Um, and I think um, Sco is very uh, hardline on the um, heritage players, um, and obviously Victor Radley, uh, born and raised in Australia, played for the, the Junior Kangaroos, um, the Australian under-23s, and, and for New South Wales at um, junior level in origin. Uh, but his father's English, you know, his father's from Sheffield, so he's as eligible um, as anyone else to to play for um, England. And you know, every country from Australia, New Zealand, everyone else has had people whose, you know, grandparents might be from that particular nation or one parent, um, you know, Nathan Califf, for example, um, you know, born and raised in, in Australia. So, um, you know, I, I, that's, that's a different element. But in terms of um, in terms of the, the talent um, England's got, yeah, I mean, I think the halves have been a big issue for, for many, many years. Um, Johnny Lomax being out is, is massive. Um, and obviously George Williams has been in terrible form pretty much all season. Um, and there's the other, another half, a young half, that Lewis Dodd, who, who's been out for most of the season, and he really is a gun player. Um, he was the house partner at St Helens for, for Johnny Lomax. So there's just, um, yeah, I think it's, there's a combination of factors for England. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be very difficult. Look, I think if they can get to the semi-final or even a final, I think that's an amazing result uh, for England when you just look at the teams they're coming up against, you know, Tonga, Samoa, likely to be PNG in the quarterfinals, um, depending where they finish. Um, and just, you know, a combination of, of factors. They they play far too many games uh, in Super League and they have a much shorter rest in between seasons. So the players are, are flogged a lot harder than, you know, in the NRL. Yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. I mean, is there genuine uh, concern from English fans or are they just sort of hyped up on the fact that they've got a World Cup in their, in their backyard a year later than it should have been? I think there's a, I think there's a real mixture. I think there's some who are who are quite realistic and you know honest and and are concerned that it it could be um, you know the worst World Cup from an England point of view for you know decades. Um, and I think there's others who you know kind of look at it and and are perhaps are in a bit of denial. Um, and you know, but in saying that, you know, it is on English soil. The, the conditions will probably be cold, maybe wet. Um, you're in front of home fans. So that, you know, it's hard to quantify how much that gives them boost. Um, obviously, with Tonga, and I made this point to a few people, um, as you know, all their big results have happened in, you know, Auckland and Hamilton, where they're essentially playing in front of home crowds. So um, there's not going to be 20,000 
uh, red flags and people singing hymns, you know, in, in St. Helens and Lee and in the places they're going to be playing. So will how will that affect them? You know, that remains to be seen. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tough World Cup for England. Um, look, that, you know, Samoa haven't had a game. They could be underdone um, coming into to Newcastle. So, you know, England might be able to grind out a win there. Uh, and, you know, I think that would set up a, a potential um, semi-final with Tonga, um, which would obviously be a repeat in 2017. And that was, you know, one of the best games ever um, at Mount Sinai Stadium. So it's all, um, you know, paper's one thing, um, but, you know, people have got to go out and perform on the day. So that, that's where it'll, it'll fall down to. Oh, looking forward to that, mate. Um, have you got a pick? I mean, how do you think that, that game will roll? The Samoa game? Yeah. Oh, look, I think, I think it really is a flip of the coin. I think um, the thing with Samoa, previous Samoan teams, as we all know, they've always had talent, but they've never been able to pull it together. Um, you know, they've never really lived up to their potential. But I think this Samoan team, you know, the, the Luai's, the Toes, the, the Stephen Crichton's, um, you know, they, they are real professionals. Um, they've been in great form all season. They've got a great bond as well. And I think um, you know this. This is an opportunity. I don't think they'll they'll want to miss out on. So I think I think Samoa are in a tight game. But then again, if, if England managed to jag it, I wouldn't be surprised uh, either. Because obviously, you know, it's there, there is pressure on Samoa to to deliver because people are expecting them to sort of be the the new Tonga, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing that has held Tonga back and I think has held Samoa back in the past as well. Generally, great forwards, great outside backs, but maybe uh, don't have the depth at half. Um, but, you know, I look through that squad and think Jerome Luai, uh, Charis, uh, sorry, Chanel Harris-Tavita, uh, Anthony Milford, yeah. even Danny Levi, you know, they've got options there. They do. They've, they've never, that's the thing, they've never had, um, as you said, they've always had big forwards, big outside backs, but they've never had... The, um, the direction of the halves, but they've definitely got that at this World Cup. Uh, I think really the only thing is the coaching situation. You know, Matt Parrish, there was obviously, um, you know, in previous years, there's a lot of debate and reports about people being unhappy with him with a vote, vote of no confidence. You know, there was talk about the Johns brothers and Sonny Bill Williams coming in. That hasn't happened. Parrish, Parrish is still in charge, but, you know, he's not, uh, shall we say, the most proven coach at the top level, you know, when you compare him to a a Mal Meninga, a Sean Wayne, uh, a Christian Wolf. So, look, the players have to do the business on the park. And I think, you know, the, the, the stage is set for Samoa, but, you know, they, they have to deliver. It's, it's up to them. I guess a team that maybe isn't getting talked about as much, um, and I don't know if you'd call them a smoky, um, I don't think they'll win the tournament, but they do now have uh, two teams playing in Super League. What about the French? Just how good are, are the French going to be? Yeah, I think to be honest, I think um, while while there's been some some positives for the French game this year, and it is the first time uh, that they'll field a fully professional um, World Cup team. So in the sense that there's no semi-professional players in their squad, so that's a big you know that's a big step in the in the right direction because we are going to see at this World Cup um, you know effectively League One players, which is the third tier in England up against NRL players, and that's a you know that's a huge mismatch. So. I think for France, they're moving in the right direction, but the fact that Theo Farge, um, they're, they're half and, you know, a really, really good player. He is, um, and I think he was their, their, their skipper previously, he's um, unavailable through injury, and that's a big blow. There's a, there's a couple of other players who are also pulled out through injury. I think, um, 
look, I think they'll beat Greece, uh, but I think that will be as good as they'll do. I think Samoa and England will be much too strong for them. But look, um, you know, Toulouse being the Super League this year, even though they have been relegated, has been a positive. And the world, next World Cup is in France. So I think um, one win, they didn't win a, a game at the last World Cup. Um, I think one win out of three would be, you know, a positive result. But then again, you look at Greece and, you know, they do have Lachlan Ilias and Billy Magoulis, um in their squad. So they won't be easy beats either. No, no, they won't be. Uh, they'll, they're an interesting team with an interesting story, the Greeks, aren't they? Uh, the way that they've got to this World Cup. Uh, you were at the Kiwis versus Leeds, uh, I understand, and, and you know I, I expected the Kiwis to win that game. I didn't expect them to win 74-0 against the Super League grand finalists. Um, how much can we take from that? Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't think you can take a huge amount just because, um, you know, look, the, the Leeds players had probably been on the drink for a few weeks. Um, they drafted and they couldn't really even fill the full team. They drafted some old players and former players uh, to play for them. Um, so, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a Mickey Mouse warm-up. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I think, you know, New Zealand, if you're, a, if you're a Kiwis fan, you should be feeling very good about this World Cup. I mean, speaking of Michael Maguire yesterday, um, speaking with Nelson, a surface on motor last week and Steve Price, you know, they're quietly confident, and I think if you you just look at the team that they've got, um, I think it's the best forward pack in the tournament, and they've just got class right across the field. Um, you know, they've got depth in every position. It's going to be very hard for for Madge to pick his team. So I think you know, to me, I, th- I think New Zealand can win this tournament. Um, I think that semi final against Australia um, probably will determine the winner of the the tournament, and it's going to be huge. And I think the Kangaroos are. You know, they could be in for a really torrid time. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's good signs for, for New Zealand. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. The, the Aussies play, uh, the Kangaroos, they, they play Fiji first up, which I thought was, you know, it's a tough ask first up. Um, and it, it's probably when you uh, the best teams are the most vulnerable early in the tournament. And that Fijian team, you know, Viliami Kikau, um, we've got some uh, some other big names in that squad, um, Coruscant, yeah. yeah, Nagama's in there, Mike Asivo, uh, Kami Kamathar as well out of out of Melbourne. So I mean they've got some decent names. Uh, I know you mentioned they got beat fifty nil by England the other day, uh, but the interesting thing for me is that Melbourne has taken this team up there, and then he said he's going to rest the Penrith and Eels players for the first game. Is there a little bit of a chance here that the the Kangaroos are a bit complacent coming into this game? I don't, I don't think so because, I mean, he's resting players in the sense that he's resting uh, Nathan Cleary for Daly Cherry Evans, so it's not a bad backup, is it? Um, and I think um, looking at that Fijian team, they, you know, against England, they, they didn't have their, their six NRL players. But there's also been a bit of chat about Fiji because, um, you know, they're, they're missing quite a, a few players who, you know, you would think would be in this team. Obviously, the, the two Sims brothers, Daniel Saviti, Kane Evans, um, and the coaching situation seems very odd. Brian McDermott, um, the the former Toronto and, and Leeds and Featherston coach, and the United he coached in the United States in the last World Cup. He did the uh, he's been working with them and did the press conference on on Friday. So it's not really sure what's going on behind the scenes with Fiji. There, there might be a bit of a bit of trouble there. So I, I think you know I think the the kangaroos will be rusty but i th- i think though in the end you know they should be fairly comfortable winners in that one um but look you know fiji 
they've made the semi-finals the last four World Cups, and they do have some some quality in there. I just I just think in the halves, they are you know missing um, you know what the likes of Australia and New Zealand have. They just don't have that probably organisation. Uh, of the other teams. Do you think Mel Meninga's picked the right squad? Because I look at the squad and think, what's he thinking? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't quite get it. it. It's not one thing or another. It's kind of a hodgepodge. You don't. You, who, who do you think? Who do you think missing? Who do you think he would have? He, he should have picked in there. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have picked Ben Hunt in a month of Sundays when you yep. got specialist hookers at home. Who you know, like Damien Cook, for example. Um, he he yep. should he should be in there. He should be starting. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you got guys like I mean, Nico Hines. He's your Dally M winner. You leave him at home. Um, Dylan Edwards wins the Clive Churchill. You leave him at home. I know they have other good fullbacks, but. Um, you know, we've seen Australian teams in the past have five fullbacks in their in their back line, and they, they seem to make that work okay. So, yeah, there's just a few in there that I'm I'm not entirely sure. I haven't been a hundred percent convinced by Harry Grant this season at Melbourne either. Um, you know, I think they have better options here. And Daily Cherry Evans feels like a um, I know they're not related, but it almost feels like nepotism picking him. <laughs> oh look, yeah, I, I, I think you make some interesting points. I think. I think Ben Ben Hunt's an interesting one. He had a you know he had a very good, I think personally had a good season the Dragons. Obviously in Origin he was phenomenal, and I think um, obviously it's a twenty four man squad. The fact that he can cover in the halves and play hooker, um, and he's a very good team man. I think that you know weighed in his favour. Obviously Cook, um, you know, is is purely a hooker. I think you know Coruscant, um definitely could have been a you know. I think if the Kangaroos said we want to pick you, he would have elected, he would have gone with Australia and not Fiji. So he's probably unlucky. Um, and then the other ones, look, I mean, you've got James Tedesco and Latrell Mitchell. Um, you know, you, you are right. I mean, Nico Hines was amazing. John Edwards was amazing this season. But I guess it's, you know, where do you, where do you find space? And I think in a 24-man squad, you've, you've got limited options. And obviously, if Tommy Turbo was fit, I think he would have been in there. So... I, I think you know. It's, I think it's a very strong squad. You can make arguments for for other players, but I think there's there's pretty good depth amongst there. Um, and I think um, yeah, I think I think Mal's got his uh, calculations right. Yeah, you think so? All right. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I, the thing I don't get is specialist positions, right? Um, and and I think your spine needs to needs to be that, and that's why I scratched my head over. Over Ben Hunt, I mean, I'm a para fan, and I and I rate Reed Marnie, and I think he should be in the Queensland team over Ben Hunt. I mean, the guy's not a specialist hooker, uh, and when you leave guys like you know Cook, and you mentioned Coruscant and Marnie, and there's there's a few others, you leave them at home to take Harry Grant and a part timer who likes to drop the ball a lot. It looks like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big Harry Grant fan, so I'll, I'll beg to differ on that one. <laughs> fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Um, well, we we you know looking at this World Cup, then uh, it, is it pretty much nailed on? If you were, if you if you like to punt, uh, would you be willing to put money on the fact that it's going to be the Kiwis in Australia in one semi final and Tonga Samoa in the other, or where are you on that? I think I think definitely the the former. Um, I can't you know I think. Um, just off the top of my head, the way it'll it'll pan out, it'll it'll likely be um, Australia and Ireland in the quarterfinals, and New Zealand, and probably Fiji in the quarterfinals. And I think you know it, it will be a, a kangaroos Kiwis Tammy. I think that's a lot. The other side of the draw, look, I think you know it's, Tonga will, you know, they they should be far too strong, and and you know will get to the semi final, but they could meet 
Samoa in the quarterfinals or they could meet England. So that's, <laughs> that's going to be a tough game. And I think the other one that people are forgetting about is PNG. Um, look, mm. they beat Fiji in the mid-season test. They beat Great Britain in 2019. Um, they made the quarterfinals in 2017. And I think they've got a better team now than they had um, five years ago. I mean, you look at Justin Olam and, and players like that. Lachlan Lambs had a very good season over here in England. Um, and they've got, you know, the direction in the in the halves that perhaps they've lacked. So I think PNG can, can really surprise someone. So, you know, if you're Samoa or England and you're coming up against them in the quarterfinals, I think you'd be a little worried. Um, that's a banana skin. So it wouldn't surprise me to see PNG um, get to the semifinals and then, you know, you never know. I mean, I think I think this World Cup is loaded up for another kind of series of upsets. And I think, you know, getting a, a Tonga in the final, a Samoa or a PG would be, you know, amazing for, for the sport worldwide and, you know, it would make a bit of history. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, and I know you're, uh, you, you know, your passport says Australian and you might have, uh, you might be slightly shaded on this, but, you know, the Kiwis kangaroos at this stage, as an Australian fan, how, how confident are you that you're getting to the final? Not confident at all, uh, to be honest. I mean, I, I, you know, the the Kangaroos have, I think, won every World Cup uh, since two, apart from two thousand eight, since since nineteen seventy two. But I think, um, you know, the combination of factors, they, they, you know, they've got to be um, quite worried or at least, you know, very cautious because I think that that record could could end. Um, you know, the, the talent New Zealand's got is amazing. Um, they're a very settled team. They're well coached. Uh, and, you know, the Kangaroos hadn't played for three years and the last game was a loss to Tonga. So a lot of, you know, all of these players have never played for Australia while they, you know, they're proven in the NRL and um, in state of origin. They've never played internationally and it is a different, it's a different, um, it's a different game, it's a different arena. And, you know, there's a weight of expectation. I think people expecting Australia just to rock up and win the World Cup, um, you know, they've got another thing coming. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, mate. Looking forward to it. I, I Just before we let you go, though, one thing, I did get sent this by Ben, um, who produces this show, and he sent me this message on WhatsApp. Um, I can't read the entire message uh, because we're on live radio, but it says, look at this cluster beep. Aussie should lose based on this alone. Um, and he's talking about the number system. And if you look, they've released the team uh, for the game against Fiji, and it features Josh Adokar wearing the number nine, Latrell Mitchell wearing the number eight, uh, and Ben Hunt wearing number three playing hooker, and Daly Cherry Evans wearing number two playing halfback. What is going on? Yeah, apparently they've changed. They've decided. Um, I have no idea why. It's just basically annoyed everyone in rugby league. But they've decided to to change the numbers and base them on um, you know the order of which they've made their debuts for Australia and, and how many caps they've got. So yeah, it's just look. It's a bit of a nightmare. It's quite stupid, but they've decided to do it and antagonise everyone. And after um, you know the World Cup was postponed. A year ago, I don't think there's a lot of love for the Kangaroos anyway. Not that it was the players' decision. It was the, you know, the NRL uh, commission and the, the NRL clubs who, who pushed for it. Um, and New Zealand backed them, might I add. But, yeah, there's not a lot of love for the Kangaroos at the moment. So they just added another layer of hate towards that. Um, so, yeah, fun and games. Well, I mean, looking at it from another point of view, from a commercial point of view, if you're trying to attract new fans in England to the game, it makes it a hell of a lot easier if your hooker's always wearing number nine and your wingers are wearing two and five, yeah. doesn't it, to explain the game to people? It, it does. I mean, can you can you imagine, um, you know, Bowden Barrett 
wearing number one, um, just an almost kind of a, you know, the other fullback or the other ten not wearing the same number. I mean, yeah, it makes it makes no sense um, whatsoever, um, and it's just unnecessary. But hey, it's, it's rugby league, so you just roll with the punches, don't you? Well, yeah, well, mate. Yeah, to be honest, it's probably not the most exciting thing that'll happen in rugby league this week. There's always another drama, isn't there? There is. <laughs> well said. There, there definitely is. Yeah. Good stuff, uh, John. Thanks very much for coming on today, mate. Always good to chat to you, and um, no doubt you're gonna you're gonna stay busy during uh, the World Cup. What's uh, what's what's on the agenda for you? Yeah, I'm speaking to to Victor Radley later today for a piece, and then uh, up to Newcastle on Saturday for the opener, um, England Samoa, and then down to Leeds to see uh, Jamaica and Ireland on on Sunday. So yeah, busy busy few days but yeah can't wait to to get stuck in and you know hopefully the the action delivers on the field everyone's everyone's excited and it's been a long wait you know five years for this world cup so let's hope it it delivers like it should yeah well i mean we haven't even talked you know teams like ireland and jamaica and 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 scotland and the and and lebanon and greece and italy and things too much is there is there anybody that you're uh you you think might turn up as as a maybe not a surprise but might might be better than than we think yeah, I think I think Ireland. If you look at their team, I mean, you know, they've got Luke Kerry in the halves. They've got a number of NRL players. They've got some really good Super League players. I think um, they're a they're a big chance for the quarterfinals um, uh, and doing really well and surprising a few people. I think Lebanon as well. Um, Michael Checker, I spoke to him yesterday. Obviously, um, they've got New Zealand first up, which is a very tough game. Um, but you know. Czech is a very passionate individual, and um, you know he'll, there's some very good players. Uh, like his nephew Adam Dewey in that Lebanese team, so they could um, they could spring a shock or two as well. I think you know for the likes of Scotland and and Wales um, and Greece, it's going to be a very very tough ask. Um, you know, very tough World Cup. But um, you know, I think there's some there's definitely some teams that can spring some surprises. Cook Island are another one. Um, you know, led by Tony Iro, a, a Kiwis legend. Um, you know, they've got some. Very good uh, players in their team, um, so they'll be one to watch out for as well. They could even jag a, a quarterfinal spot, um, you know, if they can beat Wales and um, upset PNG. Yeah, well, mate, yeah, plenty to look forward to. Thanks very much again for coming on, mate, uh, and uh, we'll catch up with you during the tournament. Keep up the good work at uh, the By the Balls podcast as well, eh? Thanks, mate. I will do. Yeah, good stuff. Johnny Davidson talking. The Rugby League World Cup kicks off this Saturday. Uh, with, I think Sunday morning, New Zealand time, England versus Samoa. It is 25 past 10 on your Tuesday evening. It's 10.29 here on SENZ Extra Time. Double eight double three is the text machine, or you can call us 0800 150 uh, Chris has texted through saying it's a weird draw, so teams from the same pool could meet in the semi-final. Yeah, if they win, because it crosses over uh, on each side, but not, uh, you know, so like, yeah. Yeah, you cross over between two pools, but not the other side of the draw. It is a bit strange. It is a bit strange, I grant you that, Chris. Uh Michael's also uh, texted through on double eight double three to say that the uh, that Sky. I saw this story the other day. Actually, they have sold rugby pass to World Rugby, and as part of the deal, uh, Sky TV New Zealand have got the rights to every Rugby World Cup between now and twenty twenty nine, including uh, and including all the seven series and the new women's fifteen international series as well. So uh, Sky have uh, cut uh, Spark right out of the deal there. 
um, which is an interesting move uh, given that Spark had got the current uh, rugby world uh, Women's Rugby World Cup, which is on at the moment right here as well. Uh, some other news that's just come through. Uh, looks like Des Hasler uh, is uh, probably going to be looking for a new job next season. Of course, he's threatened to sue Manly because Manly were talking about how he hadn't done a good enough job to get them to the playoffs. Um, he's saying that basically uh, the club, when they released that rainbow jersey and they didn't consult him or the players, um, and that led to seven players standing down, and they lost that game, and then they went on to lose the rest. It split the squad, apparently. He's saying that that's the fault of the club and not his fault, so he's threatening to sue the club. Well, Scott Penn, who is the owner of Manly, has just said this, um, Manly has got a premiership winning roster and needs a coaching department to match. So that would suggest to me, Ben, that Des Hasler's probably going to be looking for a new job. A squad to contend for the premiership? No, it's not what he said. He said Manly have a premiership winning roster. No. No, I know. know. Absolutely not. No, exactly. And then ironically, the coach that apparently has been linked to Manly Mm. is a man who has never won a premiership. Oh, really? Who's uh, been linked? Anthony Seabold. Hmm. I thought Anthony Seabold was going to go be number two up at the Knights next season. Yeah, apparently he's been now being linked to this. Oh, right. Okay. He's a man in demand. Uh, very much in demand. So, yeah, man, oh, that's going to get ugly, I reckon. That's going to end up in the courts. In the courts. Um, wait wait for that to play out next season. Because, yeah, Manly's going to go th- be dragged through the courts and through the papers on this. You know it's going to happen. And the club is, the, the hierarchy is going to be made to look really bad. Should I present them with the wooden spoon now? I wouldn't go that far. Uh, well, I if, don't know. They, they, things went pretty bad after the Jersey saga. It depends what they do. Oh, it depends if Tommy Turbo's shoulder holds up. Yeah, if, he, if, he's, if he's fit, they're okay, I think. I reckon I would have a better chance of winning the lotto than him staying fit for an entire season. Okay, all right. Buy that ticket. Buy well, that ticket. Well, actually, actually, now that I, I retract that statement because we all know that it's rigged. And uh, as a winning ticket was recently sold in my area, I'm not going to win it for a while. So. Uh, we just buy out of your area. You travel in the Parnell every day. You buy true. one here. Yeah, but if that's the other conspiracy. Then they, they never never sell in the rich areas. Oh, that's not true. That is definitely <laughs> not true because you know what? A few years ago, uh, well, quite a few years ago now, I was I worked in Ponsby and I worked in Ponsby for a long time and a mate of mine owned the cobbler's shop and lotto shop that was in, in Three Lamps and I used to buy my lotto ticket from him every week and then one week we'd just moved out, or not just probably about two years we'd been living out in Seattle and I decided that, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy local. I'll buy local out where I live now. And so I bought one from local, and he sold the winning ticket that week. And it was a big one, too. It was like 34, 35 million. It was massive, and it was all one by one guy who obviously nobody knew who it was, but he did an interview. And um, basically, he sounded like me, apparently. And like my sister even rang me and said, Was that you? Because the guy was like, Oh, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a Westie. I'm just this, I'm just that, it's not going to change my life. And uh, yeah, my sister was convinced that I'd won Lotto uh, and ran, but it wasn't me. It was the one week that I didn't buy from my mate's shop. I have a feeling I might have heard that story on another radio station. Potentially, potentially. I was working at another radio station at the time, but there you go. Um, so yeah, uh, Manly, things, things not looking good there, Ben. I mean, Hasler, I think he's a great coach. I think he's a very good coach. I mean, he's been dealt a dud hand there, and he's had some some uh, horrible injuries to deal with, and some 
I would say interesting trade decisions made uh, under his watch as well. Not not by him, but by the people upstairs. At Manly, yeah, and I just think back to his tenure at the Bulldogs. You know, you had them in a bit of a good spot, and things quickly kind of spiraled downhill. Uh, of course, came back, but I mean, he's he wouldn't be the worst coach to have. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot worse. I don't think he'll be out of a job long. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up at Brisbane. I don't, I don't, don't know how long Kevy Walters has got in a job. Maybe Newcastle even. Adam O'Brien must be uh, walking a tightrope at the moment. Well, that's the thing. If, you, if you're if you a club where you're not 100% sold on your coach and a guy like Des Hasler becomes available, you almost do think... Should we pull the trigger? We get him where we can. Do we? Yeah, do we pull the trigger or you know, do we do we tell our coach, look, if you don't perform in the early rounds, but that is taking a risk and you think of... Uh, Adam O'Brien in Newcastle. You could think of even Justin Holbrook at the Titans. I mentioned Kevin Walters there being another one, and even Anthony Griffin at the at the Dragons. Apparently, his future's up in the air as well, yeah. and that even seems to be causing a bit of discussion and divide in, among the Dragons players as well. So he's an, he's another one to keep an eye out on. Uh, so any of those clubs, yeah, would probably consider. Yeah, do we? Don't we? Do we? Yeah. Hey, well, yeah. I tell you what. I reckon that they're more than um, more than an even chance that Dias Hasler's got a new job. He's not coaching Manly at the start of next season. Well, pretty much. If if you watch the video of the Manly Seagulls owner, he of course can't say everything for legal reasons. But when you try to read between the lines and and what it, what he's saying, it's it, it, it's a clear indication that they want him gone. Um, so which it's it's a real shame when you kind of get incidents like that happen because you think of what Dez has done for Manly uh, and even in his first stint they had the premiership in 2008, uh, 2011 lost in 2007 as well uh, he wasn't in charge in 2013 oh, I think did they lose in 20 I think they lost in the 2010 grand no it was the Roosters uh, they lost in another grand final well, they won a grand final around that time as well, but I don't remember who was there. But they kind of had that little successful period. Mm. But the point was that it was a, it was roughly just after he had gone. So, you know, that coach kind of comes in and carries that mantle going forward. And it's kind of sad to see when a guy has got such a legacy at the club and that it's just kind of the way it ends. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, with an owner who seems to be a little, should we say... Um, Little sparse on the facts, uh, with him having a premiership winning roster. Well, he's got. Well, they got a premiership winning coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can go much more further than that, but well, that was... I, I, I mean, their roster isn't the best, but Des has done a very good job at getting lots out of them. And an example for that is a guy like Ruben Garrick, who's not mm. a world beater. But boy, he's he's steady and he has been firing under Dez. You know, he's had to cover in the senders, had to cover on the wing, had to cover at fullback, and he's done a job, and uh, that's great. And I, but I also think part of the, maybe the issue as well is, uh, I think Dez was he really wanted to keep Kieran Foran, um, and then I think there were a couple of other guys that wanted. Uh, well, I think the main reason why he left was because uh, Josh Schuster who's been playing in the second row the last couple of years, he's naturally a 5'8". Yeah. 
and I think he really wants that time to transition. He's like, oh, I want to, I want to play in the halves. And they're kind of saying, okay, this is your chance. And but I think Des really wanted to keep Kieran foreign as well, which I think was probably another part of the issue. And it probably shows that bit of that murky relationship between uh, the management and uh, the big corporates. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Looking forward to it. I see. Uh, I've just been forwarded a story from Fox saying that Mel Meninga was disappointed with the Kangaroos squad numbers. Said it was a uh, decision made by Australian officials, and he wasn't consulted. Oh, it's. I was telling, talking to you off air, and I know they do it in Super League. They get assigned the numbers at the start of the season, mm. but uh, usually you have like your best seventeen, or, yep. or have like those numbers, and then you kind of got those bench guys that will have the, those same numbers. And then if you assign guys, like I think when Tui Lolahia, for example, first went over to the UK, I think he was called in late, so he had like a number squad number like thirty as an example, but then the year after he got a, a lower number because he was more... Well, he was in that starting side anyway, but he kind of that number became available, so he was able to grab it. Uh, but the fact that you have the guys who are... You see Ben Hunt's wearing number three, Daly Cherry Evans is wearing number two. Yeah. It's just stupid. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, extremely stupid. But there, there we go. We'll leave it at that. It is 20 away from 11. We'll talk football when we come back. It's uh, quarter to 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, there is uh, another round of Champions League games. And Manchester City travel to Copenhagen. Uh, and uh, Marco Stamenic, uh, the all-white, played the full 90 minutes last week at Manchester City against them uh, for Copenhagen. It'll be interesting to see if he's in the lineup again. Man City, big favourites, as you would expect, uh, paying $1.10. The draw's at nine fifty. Copenhagen to win $23. Pep Guardiola was asked, about the game and about Erling Haaland today. Are there any plans to rest him tomorrow night and are you treating him differently in this stage of the season because he's not going to the World Cup in, in November? Do you feel you can sort of push him more than some of the other players and, until the World Cup starts? No. I don't think it's a selection thinking the World Cup so the national trainers will decide to handle the players when they get it. So... They don't think about us. We're not going to think about them. So uh, tomorrow I'm going to decide what is the team selection. Because just two days I have to speak with the play with the players, with the physios, with the doctors, and decide what's the best. We'll see. Pep, you've, you've in recent games, obviously you've had such chance and victories that you've been able to take off a lot of key players well before the end. Do you think that could have a a really significant impact for you in this really hectic month of fixtures? Do you think when you get to the back end of October, you could really benefit from that? Yeah, it's true that the last 25, 30 minutes when the games are tied is when the fatigue increase and the risk for the injuries uh, rise. This is the reality. But uh, yeah, of course, lately... We were lucky to score the goals in the first half, in the beginning, the second, and after we can rotate, not just to rest players for this fatigue, always to be involved, everyone. So, and the last game was good because everybody played minutes, a lot, all of them. And when we need them, they will be ready. And tomorrow will not be an exception. No, I don't know. Every game is differently. So it's different. So, no, I don't think so. Every game is a history. So the players can handle 90 minutes. And sometimes when... I like when everybody 
can help to be involved everyone to the to the team and play as best as possible and reach the best level everyone I like it I like it and when I can use it so we have this weapon right now the five substitutions but that doesn't mean you can use it sometimes I'm not going to use it and play just the same one to start and sometimes I'm going to use five so we'll see Hi, hi, Pip. Uh, FC Copenhagen has played some good matches here in Park and in international games in the past. Do you expect them to, you know, be a more difficult opponent tomorrow than it was uh, last week? Yeah, there is to speak with itself. He has always have been difficult for many, many, many important teams, and I'm pretty sure the the players of Copenhagen have pride and. If we play in Copenhagen after two months, our game at home will be different. But just one week later, still is there, and they have pride, and they will do perform better, and and it's going to happen. It will be a completely different way. But at the same time, you have any the opportunity to close our qualification for next stage, and we're going to try tomorrow. It's still early in Aling uh, Braut Holland's career at uh, City. Uh, he had to adapt to the the club and the team, but has he and the way he plays uh, changed your style of play in any way? Has the team had to adapt to him in a way? Well, it's, it's happened. It, it works so far. So of course we adapt a little bit, and he adapt. Yeah, we know each other on and off the pitch, but he settled perfectly and quickly because he's a nice guy. He listens well. He understands the things quickly. He's able to do it for himself, for the team. The team feels protected with him. He knows we know we have an incredible threat up front, weapon to use him. And at the same time, he knows what you have to do because mates they do it. And when that happens, situations come come easy. And you faced a lot of uh, great uh, strikers, uh, both as a player and a and a, and a manager. Uh, who would you compare him to, or or is he unique in in his own way? Absolutely, one of the best. No doubt about that. I had many, They're very, very good, all of them, and Erling is one of them. So the numbers speak for itself. For the fact that uh, early age, how many goals in Champions League in the Norway, in Austria, in Germany, now in in England. So, so it's. I speak a lot about him, about these questions, but. Sometimes I said I should not sell anything. It just look the numbers, what he does on the pitch. It will be enough. It will be enough. And some of the numbers are 11 touches, two goals in 45 minutes. The last time you played FC uh, Copenhagen, how how was it possible to be uh, so so deadly and have such an impact on the game with so few touches? Yeah, I like. I had the feeling that comparing in the beginning, like for example against uh, Bournemouth, I remember in other games I was not much involved in 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 the game. Now it's much much more involved, not just to score a goal, but we know when we arrive in the final third in the box, we have a special instinct to know exactly when the ball is going to finish to put in the net, and this is why he's an exceptional striker. There you go. That is Pep Guardiola talking ahead of the game tomorrow in Denmark against FC Copenhagen. Man City, as I mentioned, big favourites paying just at $1.10. Also tomorrow, Juventus are uh, in Israel to play uh, Maccabi Haifa. They won 3-1 in Turin last week. They're $1.80 favourites to win that game. The draw is $3.60 and uh, Maccabi Haifa paying at $4.33. Also Chelsea, uh, they beat AC Milan comfortably 3-0. 
at Stamford Bridge last week. Uh, tomorrow, they are favourites in Milan. Milan do have a few injuries. Chelsea paying 225, the draw 320, AC Milan 330. I do like the draw in that one. Celtic, $3.30 outsiders at home against Leipzig, who are paying $2. Uh, they lost that game 3 1 to Leipzig the other day. We'll uh, talk about more of those games to come after this. Yeah, this is SENZ Extra Time, just about finished for the evening, but uh, just to go further on those games tomorrow morning in the Champions League, we also have uh, Paris Saint-Germain host Benfica. Now this was one all uh, last week in Portugal, but PSG are big favourites at home this time around. They're paying $1.40, Benfica six fifty. The value for me is in the draw at $4.50. Can't see why that might not happen again. Uh, we've also got Dortmund hosting Sevilla. They smashed Sevilla last time. They're favourites at $1.45. Sevilla paying six fifty. The draw four fifty. They They sacked their coach after that game. And then uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, who are playing their games in Poland at the moment, of course, Ukrainian, host Real Madrid, who are big favourites at $1.36. Shakhtar at 7.50, the draw 4.50. There you go. Enjoy that. Enjoy the Champions League. First thing tomorrow morning, we'll be back with extra time next week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.